0: back, everybody, to the of Rogue Things Rogue Retro Smackdown review. I am your usual host, Scott McLeod, and we're finished with No Way Out. Uh, I think it's been a week or so, at least since uh, that came out. Sorry for a bit of a gap in between, but we're going to march in full speed ahead to WrestleMania 2000. We've got five episodes of SmackDown in between to talk about first, which I'm sure will be very eventful as we look, walk, march on to one of the most overbooked WrestleManias of all time. I, I think it's fair to say, but we're here to talk about a March second episode of SmackDown from two thousand. But first, joining me is now. I've been looking for a new, more full time co-host. He's he's not got the the job yet. I would like to see him as we he's currently here on a trial basis. You've heard him before, and if you've heard his previous episodes, you more than likely looked at a time stamp. So look look how long this episode is. Mil <laughs> uh, you
1: know, Preston, how you? I'm not too bad I'm not too bad I'm fully prepared for um free a free year trial basis at which point at the end of it you'll tell me that those brass rings I keep on aiming for are just too little out of my sight and tell me to basically get to step in and fuck on off out of there so let's see <laughs> how long we can keep this trial basis going for shall we yeah sure and uh, you'll then show up on another podcast that, coincidentally
0: uh, goes out the same day as one of our main podcasts and talk about, and basically poke fun at everything I did. <laughs> do you know that, that Scott doesn't like people sneezing while he records with them?
1: <laughs> I feel like now I'm going to have to try and tickle my nose just every chance I get, and then when you're really in the middle of saying something, I'm just going to do a big sneeze, and you're just going to go fuck it, you're gone. You're out of here. <laughs> just go. I don't want you anymore. So, Or if I'm really into it, you're just going to hear me going like... <gasps> Are you going to be like, are you panic attacking? Are you heart attacking? Or are you trying not to sneeze attacking? And I'm going to go as the latter. So anything could happen over this trial basis. And I'm very excited to see what can happen.
0: Hmm. I'm very much looking forward to it as well. Uh, As I said, we're coming out of No Way Out 2000, a big, uh, a noteworthy show uh, for several reasons. Obviously, Mick Foley is forced to retire definitely gone. we're never going to see him again after losing the Triple H but uh, going into this Raw and over the course of these two weeks with all intents and purposes uh, at this stage as it's been boot. the main event at Wrestlemania as far as we know is Triple H versus The Big Show at Wrestlemania because Shane and came back to cost the Rockies match with The Big Show at No Way Out as I'll be honest. We I'm surprised the fans kept a lot kept went along with it as long as they did. Uh, for the before they eventually get what we get because I'll be honest. We like I think we saw from like Daniel Bryan when he was kept out in 2014. It was basically like no, it's definitely going to be Batista versus Randy Orton yeah somehow
1: 2000 fans are much more forgiving yeah i i just got this uh i can only imagine if they had gotten to like the week beforehand and then they'll be like do you know what we'll add one more person we're gonna add shane mcmahon because he's really emotionally invested in this storyline and he is the perfect mixture between big show and triple h so we're gonna have a major triple threat attack and everyone will just be like I would like a refund right fucking now (laughs) Uh, because the fact that I think even like next week's we see it. They even do like the promo card for it showing Big Show versus Triple H. And the problem is, is that because they faced each other on the very first war of 2000 and that was Triple H won the title off, there was enough Mm. doubt there. you could go, actually this could be long-term planning and you're like, no, it can't, be. no, surely the, surely the Rock's going to be, no, no, I think, yep, long term plan. do you know what, fair play to them that they put so much into it, uh, and that they were so willing to suspend your disbelief, but we'll see how it goes this time with hindsight on our side. I know, we're looking for
0: them, they've got like five weeks play with you know i wouldn't be surprised if they did actually man you forgot to leave out the
1: fact you know he is the best professional wrestler (laughs) in the world (laughs) i've just i've just what i'm gutted about is that supposedly the original poster released for wrestlemania 2000 was big show triple h the rock and chris jericho and i'm feeling like they really missed a trick there because you know that Chris Jericho was struggling at the time he was barely getting beyond the intercontinental type of scene. They should have gone for a guaranteed five star starer and gotten Shane McMahon in there. can you imagine a WrestleMania <laughs> sign with Shane McMahon? People would flock to it I mean they'll spit on it afterwards, but they'll flock to it and and <laughs> spit on it so at least they'll get people there. I would really be curious to see how many tickets they sold up to the moment they announced what the real main event would be um because I know, I've just realised they never mentioned how many tickets have been sold during these two two weeks we saw, which normally they they be touting that more than like the WWE network is only nine ninety nine, but you can get it for free section. Yeah, so they have. I don't think they really did that as
0: often here. I mean, especially given like they're in like arenas for WrestleMania, but they don't go back to like doing football in stadiums until the following year with WrestleMania X seven. So I don't know if they really doing that like I think it was when they started going back to big arenas that they kept typing out oh look how quickly the tickets sold out for this for this show and then when you got to the show they'd tell you about how many people they got but they do keep reminding you every so often like how many days it is to Mania, or how many weeks it is to WrestleMania with a big graphic coming on which is one—it's weirdly a small thing but I like that even to this day when they tell you how many how many days away that a, a WrestleMania is to helps you like build the anticipation even if the booking towards WrestleMania has been crap because like I think you knew, I think you were glad that they didn't even think about going with Big Show v Triple H because The Rock on, on the Raw before this openly says in a promo, well The Rock says that Triple H and Big Show is going to be the main event of WrestleMania, then WrestleMania is going to absolutely suck.
1: And the <laughs> crowd pops, there is a very loud pop for The Rock openly saying like, yes, we agree with that. Yeah, it's basically The Rock's opportunity to say, do you know what, let's find out whether the crowd are actually into this match. Um, And can you imagine if they had been in like Triple H's hometown or Big Show's entire family had gone along and you got the biggest cheer uh, possible for the match and then everyone would be like, way. Maybe we shouldn't have The Rock in the match after all. I know. Maybe we should have him at WrestleMania against Headbanger Mosh to really build up on his comments about Mosh in the lead-up to the Royal Rumble. You know, they, they, it could have been inspired. We just had to thank the crowd that they reacted exactly as The Rock wanted. Because otherwise, oh God, it could have been worse than Triple H versus Chris Jericho. Or, <laughs> Tri- or Triple H versus Randy Orton. Or, uh, Tri- Tri- or Triple H versus Roman Reigns. So, I'm really starting to see a pattern here. I don't know about you. Maybe just a little bit, but I, I, that Jericho thing
0: is weird. I don't think it's talked about it that much. Well, Jericho, like, that's all they talked about that he was going to happen. But like, when you actually watch Jericho, like yeah, he lost the IT title at No Way Out to Angle. There's any hint that he's moving anywhere near the main event scene at this stage. Uh, there is a, like, a brief showing of that like, after WrestleMania where he's mixing up with Triple H, but even then, I don't think they're quite ready to push him uh, just yet. It's kind of like that Wrestlemania, uh, sorry, that NWO WCW revenge game where you've got Hogan, Nash Goldberg and Raven on the cover of it. And like Raven, I'm not just to Raven but just given how WCW portrays these guys, like one of these things is not like the other and I believe it was I think maybe even Brian Myers uh, he said he found out that he got to talk to somebody involved in the, the game I think it was from Raven himself that just, Oh yeah, one of the developers was a Raven fan And so they (laughs) put four WCW wrestlers on this cover of this game. And so he just slipped Raven in there.
1: (laughs) Oh, see, uh, I love the nepotism of that. Now all we need is someone to do uh, WWE 2K21 with Cesaro on the front. And he might actually appear in the main event of WrestleMania. In which case... I would actually watch WrestleMania for the first time in what feels like fucking donkey years. But um, the chance of that, unfortunately, happening, I feel, is going to be very, very small. But, um, yeah, let's see whether or not there's any hints or suggestions at all to Jericho being the main eventer or whether or not we're just going to be prepared for disappointment. We'll have to see. But for
0: where we're going to spend, Do we need to go on to Raw. Uh, I haven't pulled it from MSG. This particular Raw was... And obviously, yeah, Triple H and Stephanie come out to start the show. Uh, not as a will guest at all, guess, that statement. But Triple H comes out and the commentator goes, oh, Triple H isn't smiling, go- doesn't seem to be gloating about his victory last night over Kajaki He got his-, his wish he got rid of Cactus. But then Triple H talks about the fact that last time they were in MSG, that's where he and Cactus had the-, the street fight. And it feels like Triple H almost shows a bit of remorse and kind of regards his respect for Cactus. Even Stephanie is a bit confused about it. He goes, you know what? I have this, this, this video package prepared to honour Mick Foley. And at first it's all this like soft music, highlights of Mick's ear, and then just cuts to DX music playing and just highlights of Triple H beating up Mick Foley. As Triple H and Stephanie just laugh in the like, ah, we failed you. We don't care about Mick Foley. And so also the heels lured you in. And then Outcome, scene in the big show, and they, said they start teasing this match, it's definitely going to happen at WrestleMania. Uh, until The Rock comes out and calls him, you know, he calls Steph he goes, I want to congratulate you, not you, Triple H, on being the WF champion. I don't want to congratulate you, Big Show, on going to WrestleMania, or congratulate you, Shane, on returning to the company, or even to congratulate Stephanie on being the biggest piece of trash walking New York City. He <laughs> get another big talk.
1: <laughs> uh, and I'm pretty sure New York City was having major trash problems at the time, so it was, you know, topical. Which I love from The Rock. He's always on. He's always on top of what's really popular.
0: You know, and it's a hell of a accomplishment for Stephanie because you know Joe Big biggest piece of trash, you got Vitor on the roster. He literally is large and wears a trash bag as he's <laughs> ring here So well, indeed, Stephanie. You know, again, paving
1: the trail for women. But <laughs> i'm gonna warn you now i i am really looking forward to these episodes that we're about to watch because i actually when i watched this episode i actually had flashbacks to when i originally saw it because i remember watching this episode live when it came out in 2000 this was one of the first major episodes I watched of SmackDown on Sky One. And there was actually moments where like I I was going, Oh, if I remember it correctly, this is going to happen next. And it did. And I was just (laughs) sat there going like, Oh my God, it's like I'm 10 years old all over again. (laughs) (laughs) It was absolutely insane. But I should warn you, there is going to be moments like that. And I love the fact you're talking about the Triple H uh, doing the video to start off with on SmackDown because um, obviously you're probably going to mention the fact that it appears later on um, in, you know, on SmackDown itself. And that video of the beginning bit, at least, where Mick Foley is walking out of No Way Out the moment that played on, on my, uh, WWE network, cause I actually paid for it now that I'm going to be doing the guest hosting because I need as many points as possible to get on here for full time. Um, literally as soon as Jim Ross started doing like the really heartfelt goodbye, I was like, all these memories and nostalgia just washed over me. And I just completely reverted back to, I'm not going to say a golden child, but I, 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 had a, I, I had a childlike demeanor all the way through. And I was just like, oh, I remember this. So be prepared for a nostalgic fanboy for the ma- majority of this. But I'll let you get back to your, your recap uh, before I take you off on another tangent. I see,
0: there, hmm, bulletin network. That's a bus. It also <laughs> with me, so that's a negative. So he's on. He's still He's, he's exactly where he was before.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am running a hundred miles an hour to stay in the same location. There <laughs> we go. <laughs>
0: yeah, but I, I do agree that it is a hell of an episode for you. Like before, I knew that you, you you remember watching it, but like even before then, just looking at some of the things we're going to talk about, it is a hell of an episode for you to start on uh, on this. But yeah, so the road. What still wants comes? He still wants to go to Virginia, but like. The heels are like, yeah, but you you lost, so you, you've you blown your opportunity. And so they said to The Rock, this is recap at the start of the SmackDown anyway, but they say to The Rock, you're going to have to start from the bottom and work your way back up. So now you're going to face one of New York's finest, the Brooklyn Brawler. Who <laughs> <laughs> gets no reaction, and, he, and you, as you expect, The Rock wins in, like, a minute, The Rock bottom. Then he calls out Triple H and does that, though I said about WrestleMania is sucking in. Triple H looks like he's going to fight The Rock, but Shane said, no, he's going to probably try and go into winning, putting the title on the line, but does, we're not going to give him what he wants. So instead, they book him in a handicap match later in the night against Big Show and Triple H. And basically said, The Rock has to send either of them in order to go to WrestleMania. But, you know, they'll say The Rock's actually going to get it done when Shane hits him with a chair to go to the DQ. And basically, they're like, ah, see, you won but by DQ. But you had to pin them to go to WrestleMania. So see, The Rock's still not going to WrestleMania. Mm. And so the heels... W- or stand tall to go to the will stand tall as raw goes off air as big show took the rock but before we actually go into raw uh there's a moment that happens It's a noteworthy moment for all the wrong reasons in this era i don't want to talk about it any longer than i have to this episode of raw is where we finally got the me young hand uh scene uh because mark came was fighting crash a hardcore title he was gonna do splash but then me young for some reason wanted to do splash and then we still like they do the whole thing later on All oh, the hand it's weird. I don't want to talk about
1: it. <laughs> yeah, I was enjoying my nostalgia, and now you just tinged it with a <laughs> with a, a major sadness and slight disgust. I'm still getting over the Royal Rumble uh, swimsuit competition, and that has also <laughs> now come back to my memory. So the fact you're putting me through that pain, I feel, gains me at least two points. Yeah, if I must suffer, so must you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, I can't wait for this sad or masochistic relationship to develop. See, like, I don't even know what this is meant to be. I don't think even those close to
0: Vince know, because, like, Bruce Bertram was asked about it, and basically, the the, the reaction to Vince basically pitching the idea of the hand, basically, Bruce and, like, Pat Barris and all the other faces said, like, but but why is it funny? "It's, It's a hand. Yeah, I know it's a hand, but why is that funny? It's a hand. Apparently Vince just laughed and walked
1: off. So. <laughs> uh, i do you know what? I can only imagine what Vince McMahon's mind must be like if he was um on like weed or like uh, on some or some hallucinogenic drugs. And imagine being in his his mind when you go through it. Like have you ever seen the film The Cell with Jennifer Lopez? I can't I can't say um I must I rush out to see the latest Jennifer Lopez. Uh, so. <laughs> To be fair, I don't think many people do, even Jennifer Lopez's mum. But um, this came out in about two year 2000, 2001, and she plays like an FBI agent with Vince Vaughn, because that's totally an FBI couple that comes to mind, uh, that goes into a serial killer's dreams. And it is weird as fuck, and yet I still reckon it will be more normal than being in Vince McMahon's fucking mind when he's hiring hallucinogenics thinking of a hand popping out of a vagina.
0: I think there's implications that the hand was some sort of aid or whatever that may I had been using that somehow I got stuck there. But again, what? what uh, oh, no, I don't, I don't even want to. I'm going down a dark path. There is no, there's no
1: light at the end of. Uh, just imagine like if he if he'd been watching too many ping pong games that were at like um, American colleges and he thought, you know what? That's really cool. But if st- instead of sending the ping pong flying across the room into a into a cup, what if it was a hand coming out, high five in someone? And that was actually the next step. And th- it was at that point that Linda turned around and said, Vince, you got your hand. Just walk away. Just leave it be. Please don't do a high five from a woman's vagina especially in Nagarian, And he'd be like, fine, all right. At least it's funny.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> getting away from the insanity,
0: we actually, as SmackDown opens, and uh, we'll take the episode, SmackDown actually opens with a really good like, opening match where we have the Radicals taking on Tukul cool and Chris Jericho. Uh, this came about from Raw where Rikishi uh, answered Kurt Angle's European title Open Challenge. Because weirdly, Kurt Angle, he's defending these, these Eurocontinental titles like separately, but not at the same time yet. But Kurt Angle, he defended the title against Rikishi. Rikishi's now, the think, face is becoming a thing or these couple episodes. Uh, but, that, but to avoid getting himself, like, yeah, getting his face being rubbed in, uh, Rikishi's ass, he tries to get himself carried out, but Jericho threw him back into the ring. But then the the Radicals came out and caused a DQ because they were fusing with uh, Tukul and Rikishi still at the time. 'Cause they had a match they had a six man tag match at no way out. Mm. Uh Jericho and China mix up with the radicals and then do a bit of a dance with Two uh, later on, Jericho's being interviewed saying he still wants a rematch with Jerich with Kurt uh, Angle. But then he gets into it with the Radicals, particularly Perry Saturn, and that sets up a match with Perry Saturn later on, uh that Jericho does win and then further sets up this uh, six man tag team match to start SmackDown. But one thing I must say, I've been talking about it a lot. People are, some people are probably thinking, oh, God, he's going on about this again, but I need to get Sam's opinion on this. Uh, don't feel pressured to agree with me, but is the Radical theme song not one of the most generic theme songs in the history of wrestling?
1: I think it is generic, I'll admit. Um, still not as generic as some of the crap we can listen to because if I hear the Radical song, I know it's the Radicals, and it's, it's it's almost like, I wouldn't be surprised if they went with a re- relatively generic theme song, because they were like, we're going to separate them as soon as we possibly can. Because I think it was basically around about April onwards that they already started slowly drifting them apart, so that they, like, they went off into two or three different uh, tandems. So, it didn't make sense for them to go full in on making a really good um, group theme song. But interestingly enough, it does feel like it's, it's like a precursor or the initial sketches of Chris Benoit's future theme song. There's a little bit of like over, over semblance of it, I feel uh, to some degrees. And I don't, I don't mind the theme song. It kind of suits them, but it's not, it's it's only memorable probably because of my nostalgia. I think if I, if I didn't have that nostalgia, it would be very forgettable. And it doesn't help being a new group, a new stable, trying to make an impact if you're really sort of like not shattered a little bit, but they're not putting as much effort into your entrance because they're already thinking – we're going to set them up for the future. Because you notice that when they started splitting up, they got very distinctive theme songs very quickly. So it's almost like they already had those in the bag planned for, which is why they didn't bother so much with the Radicals theme song. Maybe.
0: Maybe, you know, I, I do agree that they are just, oh, look, here's these guys that just came out of a company from another company and just very good wrestlers. And so I think their have is kind, of, kind of generic as well. In a way, especially the likes of like uh, Saturn and Malenko when they started out. So yeah, they haven't really let their doesn't have much of a personality show yet. And you know, it's not gonna be a long before Eddie Guerrero is showing like showing how he how he's clearly the most charismatic one of the four. But well, it's good that uh, it is good that we get this match to start off because this is a really hot start to the show to the show. We have Jericho and Malenko you know, starting off kind of shades of their matches in WCW over the cruiserweight division. Uh, two seem to be in control for a decent amount of the, the opening. But then Jericho gets uh kind of cheap shot by Saturn in the back, which causes Benware to hang over the top rope and the radical start taking control. Uh, it's always preferable when you get a, a match to start sympathetic rather than a very long promo. And uh, it was a very frantic pace to start of this episode, wasn't it?
1: I've um I was actually quite impressed at how quickly Uh, it started off like you I I even made a note of it we were four minutes into the show including the introduction and we already had a match so kicking off with it with an instant action was a really excellent choice I thought and the choice of people for the rest of the match I thought was really good as well because two cool were quite fun when they enter the crowd gets a little bit into them the reaction to China was a bit more enthusiastic because she's she's still like distinctive and unique enough that people are interested. And then you've got Jericho coming in, leading the crowd in cheers. So you've gradually got this build-up of like these four individuals that the fans are really into. So instead of sitting on the rouse for 20 minutes doing a promo that only really goes somewhere near the latter half of it, they are instantly into the event. They've instantly got an action coming in. And I'm a huge fan of the Radicals as wrestlers in that I think they were a definite game changer in the WWF. I feel that as good as the year 2000 and 2001 is for, for wrestling in this, in the ring, you can point to those four as the real sign that the changes have begun to occur because mm-hmm. you had Kurt Angle obviously coming in in November who was was instantly different to like the Godfather and Gangrel and people like that who he was facing at the time uh, in that he was a naturally more map-based wrestler. You could already see that he was talented. Chris Jericho came in and really made an impact uh, as well when he joined, which I think would have been about October or August, something like that. Um, And then you had four really good wrestlers and the overall standards of the roster in the space of six months has really risen. Like, you're no longer going to have it that your mid-card consists of the Godfather, Gangrel, Mark Henry, Sean Stasiak, and like who are all okay, but, well, we watched December 99 episodes, and uh, we could already see that the matches were not great. And the difference, when you see these six to eight wrestlers come out, Instantly raising the standard of the matches. It's quick. It's quick, fast paced, intricate, good con- con- contrast to the wrestlers themselves and that they have different styles that mesh quite well. And the fact that the weakest link is definitely grandmaster sexy is not a surprise, but he can still do a little bit, and, the, and it just says the, the overall quality. There was a possibility in December Grandmaster Sexy was one of the more solid hands compared to some of them, and now he's, back, he's down at the bottom of the totem pole, and that shows the difference in standard. So watching this match kick off the event, I feel, really cements the idea of we're entering a new uh, era of wwf we're leaving the original attitude era and now we're entering the attitude wrestling era where it's still got Mm -hmm. some of the really exciting storylines but the wrestling is actually gonna back it up now so Mm -hmm. i i I was so happy seeing this match kick off just because of what it represented
0: yeah Uh, like we even talked about the the royal rumble which is like a month prior to this and Jericho and Two Cool were both in the Rumble match itself, so the crowd popped for Jericho coming out as they popped from earlier in the night, and also the one of the most like one of the most memorable moments of the Rumble 2000 like match is too Cool when they got a dance with Keisha right in the middle of the match, and so it's, it's amazing to see how all these guys have come in such a short time, and then you have got these guys who have come in from another place, but they've all banded together and they're sided with the heels and. Uh, it is a positive way of showing like, the influx of new talent that WWE has at the moment and what they've done right with them and how over most of them have gotten in such a short amount of time. Like You can see that with the Angle, how over the heel he's gotten so quickly. And it's kind of interesting that it kind of contrasts with I'm doing a show with ESSR that's already been recorded it I'll be out with in a couple of weeks where we talk about the final year of WCW. And then, like the way that we see WWE handling like, the newer and newer, younger talent that they have here Compared to what we talk about, the mistakes that they were doing with this new blood that they try to bring in, uh, Mm. just night and day, the differences in how they were just handled. Whereas they were just thought, oh, this is a new guy. He beat this established guy. He's over now. And it's like, why aren't you cheering? Why
1: aren't you cheering Chuck Palumbo and John Stasiak and David Flair? Obviously, you want to cheer David Flair. I mean, the (laughs) fact that David Flair was the least popular member of his trio behind Daphne, who was pretty awesome. And a guy called Crowbar tells you how bad he was, but um, I'm, I'm quite I'm quite curious about what you guys are going to think about the last year of WCW because just like watching this live at the time, I was watching WCW live at the time, but the difference was I'd been watching them since the, since the end of '97. So by that point, I was more like. Um, a drug addict going through his extra last hit, even though he knows it's not good for them, and refusing to go to Narcotics Anonymous. I still remember uh, at the age of 10 watching an episode of Nitro and turning to my mum and saying this is really bad <laughs> and like I'd never said that before I literally just told her, I said, this is really bad, and she was like, do you want me to turn it over? And I, and almost like a really sad puppy, I went no, it's okay because I was so addicted <laughs> but i i would love to hear your thoughts especially if with the wcw one you're going to do when you get to the beginning of 2001 because from my perspective of what i saw back then i feel like 2000 the beginning of 2001 was definitely almost like the moment where wcw was starting to get over the hump and it's almost Mm -hmm. like where the the better of the young stars was starting to really form themselves and start to do really well people like Alex Skipper um Ch- Chuck Palumbo was actually quite good at that time Sean O'Hare was doing really fantastic work Chris Canyon who is still probably one of the most underrated wrestlers in history I will like fight anyone who says he was awful uh with every with every bone in my body Two, mm. I would be curious I mean, to hear I mean who better than Canyon? Eh? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Who better than Canyon? He would have been been absolutely perfect in WWE if he had gone over at the same time. If he'd gone over instead of Saturn, I think that would have been the perfect team because Saturn is a good power option and he proves it in this team uh, during this match that he offers a good difference to the other three and that he's more of a power-based wrestler. who does the major suplexes and throws uh, Jericho around and that sort of thing, but Canyon was just as smooth as like Malenko and Eddie and um, Benoit in the ring. And I feel he would have offered that extra element of charisma to help balance the team out because at the time you had Malenko and Benoit as the straight men to some degrees. And then you had just Eddie who was the charisma um, personified. Basically, if you had him in Canyon I feel that would have been absolute magic and they could have done some really good stuff. But like I said, I'm curious to hear what you think about the last couple of months of two of WCW when they get there, but it's Mm. so uh, wonderful to see how smooth these wrestlers are and how good the natural ability of them are. And that, yes, these aren't going to be matches that main event a show, but you don't want to skip the matches on an average episode now because you could actually get something worthwhile.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think at the end of that podcast, I do say, like, please let us know if you actually watched all the way to the end. And so I did find somebody at least who, who did watch it. We do talk about, Dominic of, about Ready to Rumble quite a bit because also that led to the David Arquette yeah, Controversy. And that's uh, a moment a lot of people talk about when they talk about 2000, uh, 2000 WCW something i don't think i mentioned now but i think it's quite interesting that people know is that actually chris canyon uh, was the piece of the stunt double or the guy who had to do the wrestling parts for oliver Platt's character Mm -hmm. uh, jimmy king and i believe it was shane helms doing any wrestling that uh, david arquette's character had to do
1: yeah i remember i remember that because it was quite interesting that um i think if i uh, where Canyon actually started playing a role based off of it uh, called like Positively Canyon or something like that or Champagne Canyon. I think it was Champagne Canyon. And he was going around with like a, uh, like a black, um, no, no not a black, a blue shirt, similar to like the Rock would wear with like the Hawaiian style shirts, which are quite smooth and that sort of thing. And he carry around a champagne bottle with him and that sort of thing. And he, I I always feel there's such a missed opportunity with him because he was such an innovator in the ring in the moves he would come up with off the fly. And the best they could come up with in order to take advantage of it was to throw him off of a triple cage and to dress him up like Diamond Dallas Page. <laughs> we you talk about that, the idea of like guys basically copying other guys' gimmick, which is a, a, a bad
0: theme of the last year at WCW, but that's not this podcast where we're going to talk about here, but I just do level your description of realizing that this is bad because like there's always that moment that can be realize stuff can be bad <laughs> like because there's a lot of stuff I watched as a kid that I didn't realize how bad it was until I got older and like oh
1: god I have a lot of apologizing to do with my parents for making them this, <laughs> utter, this utter garbage is it's when it's when they turn around and they said oh by the end we kind of liked it and you realize that you basically did stockholm syndrome on them making them watch wcw and all that crap and that sort of thing um i like like mine especially um they spent my mum spent so many years watching wrestling on my behalf that even now if i put on a wrestling match she's turned around and she's gone oh is that undertaker or oh is that sting or oh is that goldberg Usually Goldberg, because she had a crush on him, because, obviously. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, um, it's she. It's amazing how much parents get familiar with watching all of these shows because of the Stockholm Syndrome of watching them with their children. So, um, the fact that she can rattle off like Diamond Dallas Page and The Rock and that sort of thing makes me very proud deep down. But, the looking back and seeing it without the rose tinted glasses it's some things are a lot more obvious than you think how in God's name did I miss how bad that was
0: yeah <laughs> well, but listen let me more on the WWE because they're doing a lot of good stuff in 2000 like this match that we've almost forgotten was happening because Jericho gets worked over for a bit by the heels but eventually managed to catch Ben with the German Suplex and get the hot tie to Grandmaster Stix which is a weird phrase to say because he likes to Scotty and Graham said I like them, but it's clear that they're not as high in the tone pole as some of the people that get a team with, like uh, the Rock, uh The Rock and Mick Foley they got to team with them a couple of weeks ago in a big team and tag and now they're teaming with Jericho. But seeing them get be the ones on the receiving end of a hot tag and coming in, you got a big brawl on the outside, you've got China stopping Eddie Grail from getting involved. I can't wait for Eddie to get cleared because he got injured in like his first match with the company, like he dislocated his elbow on a frog splash and hasn't also wrestled since on this series, so I'm looking forward to seeing him wrestle again. But weirdly, Shane and Jericho came to a thing with Malenko, and they just brought the ramp, and the referee doesn't even bother to do anything about it. Uh, Benoit just pulls Scottish Ollie on the outside and throws him in steps. set. Grammar's take the hip-hop drop, the light drop off the top on a uh, Saturn. But then Benoit, just, instead of just uh, attacking him and, pulling, uh, and putting Saturn on top of him, Benoit just dies off the top and hitting uh Diamond Hill the back of Scammaster 60 rolls over Saturn. Radicals get the win to
1: kick off the Macdown. And all the uh, chaotic finish, the referee had no idea what the fuck he was doing. <laughs> the the referee at the end of it was basically just like st- standing in the corner saying, Let me know when you're done and then he'll just do the count. But um it it's a it's amazing to think that um this match actually only lasts five minutes and 30 seconds and how much they pack into that is really impressive which is purely because of the fast pace they did that they everyone got their moves and everyone had an opportunity um it is completely surprising that the hot tag goes to grandmaster sex 8, which basically means that the hot tag was more like a brief flare um <laughs> which put, uh, pelt, uh peters out in the rain or something like that but um you can definitely tell the difference between, like, uh, where they are on the totem pole. And it's no surprise that Grandmaster Sexy is the one that takes the pinfall loss because he, like I said, he's probably the weakest of, of all, all of them in there. And also he's still the most great in. But thankfully, he's not doing his high-pitched laugh at the moment. <laughs> but I, it, it's kind of nice as well to see the seat, the moment where China cuts Guerrero off when he's trying to get in the ring. And what at the time was a very innocuous moment really takes on extra resonance now when you look at that with that hindsight and it's those little moments that I really like is when you see um, these people interact before things. And I also like the fact that it was the radicals' stronger experience as a group that allowed them to take advantage and win. You know, Malenko would have it that he uh, was battling with Jericho in China and they were making their way back to the ring. Guerrero could do the distraction. And Benoit was willing to take the hit of doing the diving headbutt so that Saturn could give it, get the pin. And. It, it's a really good way of demonstrating how good they are as a team and a group working together in order to fulfill what they want to do. And that was the difference between them and the baby faces. Cause Jericho and China were only just becoming a, re- a team that was on the same page compared to Royal Rumble, where basically they couldn't stand each other and two cool are a tag team, but they're not used to teaming with Jericho. So it, it was a, it was suddenly a really good way of enforcing the strength um, in groups and I really liked the booking for this match I have to admit
0: yeah I've still not well really like it. I've been watching it since Rumble because I like, think like with the raw after the Rumble that uh, chair and Jericho started becoming more of a team I still don't know what the hell the reason for them being together is and clearly Jericho didn't know either if you read his book what's also funny is that she's maybe accompanying him to the ring for his match but she gets their own separate entrance just so you can shoot up that big like, fireworks cannon that <laughs> she's got
1: What? That fire cannon cannon is obviously so, well, rocket cannon is so important that she needs to have the own own entrance. I'm pretty sure that she actually doesn't have two entrances, one for herself and one where the cannon gets brought out and given to her like a trophy so that she can actually shoot it in the air. But really, she she didn't need to have that moment. She could have just walked in actually accompanying Jericho, but that shows um, a very subtle uh, example of why they're not working together because they're not actually portrayed as a team they are portrayed as two individuals both jockeying for time and they just don't they don't blend, they don't go together
0: No they do not but uh, we move on to backstage where, I I'll just, I'll just summed it up in one sentence, Rock punches Midian in the face just because <laughs> <laughs> the, rock, the Rock enters the arena uh, Midian says something, we can't hear anything because the commentary I'm talking on the music over it. Uh, Rock just punches Midian in the face. He goes back over a table. And I weirdly thought is Rock going to fight Midian on SmackDown? Is this going to be part of the whole working his way up the the charity Like having um, fighting fight mid-carders and undercard people for a couple of weeks before getting a proper opportunity to go to Mania. But I think they say, like, no, one, one, show, one thing with Brooklyn Brawler was enough because we're all desperate for that Brooklyn Brawler comeback. But, uh, and then obviously the trope of this year is Oh, look, a, a giant limo has shown up. Who could possibly be inside? Oh, look, at Shane and the Big Show.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, all of this was so inconsequential, really, that literally the only note I made when I was watching these backstage segments was, hi, Midian, by Midian. <laughs> And that was it. (laughs) Just ready to move on. Because um, apart from uh, the nostalgic element of getting to see Midian, it's basically the Rock is pissed. Don't talk to him. He'll knock anyone out. And then the heels get their big entrance. It's just like when the NWO used to appear and have everyone get out of the limo. There's not really much difference to it in that they always arrive after the start of the event, which basically means they're terrible timekeepers. Um, there's always like a big moment about showing them coming into the actual arena, even though that's not required. And you're kind of just like, it'd be nice if you guys actually just showed up on time once. Maybe that's,
0: we didn't hear it. Maybe that's what Mindy was saying. Maybe Mindy was having a go on for his timekeeping.
1: And the Rock said, how dare you criticize the Rock? <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the, the Rock is like a wizard. He doesn't arrive too early or too late. He arrives exactly when the Great One is supposed to be here.
0: <laughs> oh, but Sam. Sam, Sam, Sam. This match, I heard about it. I thought it was good. And I saw it was on the SmackDown. I was very excited. And I think gratefully so. Because next, coming up next, we have Jeff Hardy... Versus S.A. Rios for the light heavyweight title. Oh, oh boy. Oh,
1: uh, oh, oh. So exciting. So exciting. Because oh. uh, like, S.A. Rios uh, won the light heavyweight
0: title from Gilbert ending his Okada like reign on the February 10th or no, February 13th, I believe it was episode of Sunday Night Heat. Being in about a minute with Lita Bias, if you're on an episode of Raw retaining the title over Crash Holly. Which was only sad to have uh, Lita happen with a mental after the match, just so C- Hardcore Holly could laugh at Crash. But then he's not really been seen on Raw or SmackDown since. So this is technically the uh, first appearance on SmackDown of SD also He's been around in the AEW division since its inception. He was Aguila under a mask, where at only nineteen years old he wrestled Takemichi Noku for the title at WrestleMania fourteen. But now this is a complete gimmick change. You know it with Lita taking on Jeff Hardy, and just. The crowd do not care when SOS comes out. It looks like crickets. But they start popping when the two actually start wrestling. You know, the flying clotheslines. But Jeff it's good for a springboard and but S manages to avoid it. Jeff gets caught in a tree of woe, and S-G-S goes for the kick, but he ends up sliding outside the ring. Jeff then says, I'm going to die on the outside, but SOS moves, runs over to the opposite corner, and he just dives on the outside. And it's at that, that, that moment where the commentary are just talking about anything other than the match itself. So mm-hmm. they're just talking about what's going to happen later on with Shane in the picture, And then just, just as they were talking, just does a dive and something they like, oh, how athletic is S.A. says
1: <laughs> yeah, like so. when the closest they got to discussing the match uh, was basically mentioning at the beginning the fact that Terry Reynolds had betrayed the Hardy Boys. Then um, that's literally just because uh, Jerry the King Lorder gets to talk about Terry Reynolds. Um, S.A. Rios oh. is... Oh,
0: sorry. sorry to interrupt you, Sam, but... Uh, Terry uh, portrayed the Hardys at No Way Out helping Edge and Christian uh, win a number one contendership for the tag team titles but do you know, then Terry appeared on Raw uh, during an Edge and Christian match and she revealed the epic reason why she felt so betrayed by the Hardys and decided to turn against them. Uh, make sure you're sitting down for this because apparently after being put to the table by the Dullies and being in hospital for about five weeks the Hardys, Hardys only visited her twice a week
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bastards. oh my god how could they be so selfish i just do you know what you could knock me over with a feather or <laughs> something even smaller which is uh terry's bra string um it's it's a pointless reason absolutely pointless and the idea that um she betrays them at no way out why they're facing edging christian it's like yeah, are you really going to tell me that Edge and Christian showed up three, four times a week? Because these guys have full-time jobs. They ain't got time to do that shit. They, they're they earning money in order to actually be able to continue in the business. And, and to be honest, Terry has been the least interesting part of the Hardy Boys so far anyway. Like the only good thing that came out of the Terry Invitational Tournament, you know well done with the acronym, Vince Russo, I can tell that took you a while to think of, um, was the ladder match between the two teams. That is, that's probably the only positive to that tournament was the fact that we got to see that tag team ladder match at no mercy. Terry herself is just completely inconsequential. She isn't actually, she, she's a pretty face and it, it is a little bit depressing that later on she gets one of the biggest cheers um, uh, in comparison to the rest of the team. But, it's not it's not that big a deal and i think seeing the hardy boys being able to move on from terry actually removes quite a bit of baggage and allows them to really start to stand out a little bit more i know we were enjoying them in december when they were in the cage matches with new age outlaws and that sort of thing but this is where it really began to feel they could be identified just by themselves and not as a trio with terry but um what's interesting about S.A. Rios is that you mentioned obviously that he's been around for quite a while I remember <laughs> again watching the episode where Gilberg would return to WWF because it made a big thing of him returning and coming into the ring and then it was like, S.A. Rios, I think, was a surprise appearance, That's it, as far as I remember. And I actually watched S.A. Rios win the light heavyweight title from Gilberg. And at the time, I didn't even know the light heavyweight title existed. And <laughs> getting, to, getting the opportunity, one of my first notes was, uh, were for this match was, oh my God, they're defending the light heavyweight championship on an episode of SmackDown. Because uh, uh, until, like, 2001 or something like that, I was not used to seeing that. Um, Amazingly, the Cruiserweight title on 205 Live got treated better. Um, But (laughs) that somersault over the turnbuckle was pretty damn awesome. And I'm glad that that moment, at least, got the commentator's attention because this match deserved so much more interest than what they were getting so much more interest, uh, mm-hmm. especially as the crowd were quiet and seemed a bit underwhelmed at times, even with the somersault over the turnbuckle. But um, this is the sort of match that in retrospect, you watch back and go, yeah, this crowd really did not appreciate it, especially considering how good Rios actually is in the ring. I'd forgotten how good he was and that he's quite, he's got a lot of good maneuvers that he can bring to the table and the pace generated was m- even more impressive than what we saw in the six man tag team match. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and it is weird to see the light heavyweight title feature on SmackDown like, The only other time we've seen it on SmackDown before this is I think it was the second ever episode of SmackDown uh, Of it being a regular season, as, uh the tease that Triple H will defend the title against that bald SOB They're so like, oh, Austin's going to be here And they they swerved everybody like, no, it's going to be a champion V champion match It's going to be the WF champion against the light heavyweight champion And out came Gilbert to get beat up by Triple H so that's really the only other time we've actually seen the light heavyweight title really featured, but he had this, this match, there's a bit of Rios with a flip over Jeff, behind him and then rolls through into a, a pin combination. Jeff hits a truck into Rios that sends a face first into the turnbuckle. I think one of the biggest kind of detriments to S-Rios is ironically kind of Leah because he hits a hurricane run to Jeff which sends him outside. then Leah hits one on the outside and Charles gets a much bigger re- reaction. I think it seems more impressive than seeing her do it. But I feel bad for this. <laughs> and I think I've heard some of my jokes on other doing recaps, but uh, they say, because they also she does like some of the days, they like the Mincelon to can run. they go, oh, you know, this, this Leah, you know, she, she copies everything that Esther Rios does. And I
1: thought myself, hmm, I'm, I'm, I missed the episode of Raw where Edge uh, had sex with Esther Rios in the middle of the ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that one uh, was the after credit sequence, um, and it's still uncomfortable to see, uh, especially as I don't know which one was putting on the other's hair more. Um, it, Lita <laughs> doing the Hoa is extremely impressive, because at that time, if you, 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 you've, you've watched more episodes than any of us. You've seen what the women's division is being treated like at the time, when you've got Ivory and Jacqueline and Luna mm-hmm. and so on, only able to do really the basics. So why... S.A. Rios is very good doing Huracurana's. He's not the only one who is able to do it on the actual roster, whereas Lita is the only female who is able to do it. So it's more um, unique and more of a trailblazer. So, of course, when you see Lita doing it, the, it's going to be a good reaction because it's a mixture of shock and impressiveness. I mean, like, let's let's be honest. There's a lot of like teenagers and men in that audience who are, just, who are basically going, wow, that's a really hot woman. And she can throw people around with her legs. So, of course, they're going to be interested in that sort of thing. And uh, um, I do feel really sorry for SA Rears because he he basically, um, over the next couple of months, seems to get treated as an opportunity to bring Lee to and then is completely wiped away and just like pushed out. And it's a real missed opportunity, especially as I think he's still wrestling now. Uh, I think it says uh, Mr. Aguilar, as you said, uh, I think he was wrestling in Mexico over the last year or two. And you just think to yourself, considering how popular wrestlers like Rey Mysterio was when they joined WWE and were used to pick up on the uh, Mexican market, why they didn't do something similar with SA Rios is a real surprise. It's it's such Mm -hmm. a missed opportunity. And I think in retrospect, it's definitely one of those where WWE are going to go, we could have done a little bit more with that. But if the other side of it is you get Leto out of it, I don't think many people are going to complain.
0: Yeah, definitely. It is interesting that one of our first appearances is opposite the Hardy, so she'll be kind of anonymous West. But some of the reactions from the crowd, obviously, while they're putting on this match, is very similar to kind of like WCW cruiserweights when they're first introduced, whereas the crowd doesn't really know them and so don't really pop for them at first until they start also pulling out these impressive moves. The referee gets kind of distracted by Leah at one point, so Mahar decides to fuck it and to to get involved, hits a twist of fate on Essay Rios. Jeff hits the swan, which really should mean the end of the match, but then randomly the referee tried to buy Matt and then turns around in time as he sees Leah hitting Jeff with a a moonsault off the top and then calls for the DQ. And just, it was a good match until it was kind of ruined by this finish where Essay Rios is like he kept the title but he lost and just yell, gets, grabs the microphone. It feels important to grab the microphone for this, so we can yell in Spanish to Lita, but uh, the commentators kind of joke because they don't know what the hell he said because they don't, they don't speak either and it, it, Leah doesn't get a chance to grab the mic to respond in English or in Spanish and they just argue and wander off and you think oh, are they teasing some sort of breakup between to? Uh, probably not because I remember watching Backlash 2000 and they're still together there, so They're going to be a thing for a while, so I don't get what the purpose of this finish was or the post-match, in fact.
1: It's it's an unfortunate situation where it seems like um, WWF booked themselves into a corner in that they said, right, we've given SA, we asked the heavyweight title, and we've got Jeff Hardy, who's a very good high flyer. Why don't we put them together and see how they do, and we'll give them a couple of minutes. And then they didn't consider the fact that why they're not going to make an actual decision. Cause it's almost like they wanted to, they didn't want, Ed, uh, essay to lose the title. Cause I'm assuming they wanted to, Je- uh, to prepare Jeff Hardy to continue in the tag team. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't want Jeff Hardy to lose. So they end up gaining nothing. So it's it, like, it's 90% good. I'd say in that the matches fantastic pace, um, Re- very little downtime. There's not. There's barely a moment to breathe, uh, which is unsurprising because I'm pretty sure it's packed into three minutes, but it's a very good three minutes. You can't dispute that. It's just that the ending is sort of like pulled out of the ass a little bit because it's like, right, how can we make Jeff Hardy not lose, but also make S.A. Rios not lose, but how can we have it that nobody... It just, it's just It's a little bit of a cluster that they didn't have to put themselves in that situation or you know, just have it that S.A. Rios wins. You know, Mm -hmm. actually wins because he's the light heavyweight champion. It makes the light heavyweight championship look good. The idea of Jeff Hardy losing as a singles wrestler isn't a bad thing because of the fact he's supposed to be a tag team specialist. So it just builds into that even more. And it could be a sign that Jeff and Matt aren't ready to be singles wrestlers yet. So they decide to keep them together. Um, And it just, it's those little character plays they could have gone with instead rather than, uh, let's just have Lita do a moonsault and get disqualified. And it's 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 a little bit of a lazy decision, but I'm not going to complain too much because it it was a match I enjoyed. It was the second match in a row I had enjoyed, and at this point, I was thinking to myself, "This show is flying by," and it was a really good indication of hopefully what the rest of the show was going to be like.
0: Yeah, I think you're pretty accurate with like is it the reason I'm going into it uh, because I think. Matt or Jeff, one or the two of them, I think, or even both get wrong like, with the hardcore title, or like, it'll be, like, at least a day or so of with the hardcore title in 2000, they don't probably start like winning singles gold until like, around about 2001, where they both start going after like, the IC and European belts, respectively. So, yeah, I do agree that they probably weren't wanting Jeff to win a title just yet. And the thing was, as we were speaking in Spanish, I think part of the reason they were put they used to use put with Lita is, I think it does speak Spanish. And, like, obviously, as he was English wasn't his first language, so that partly, part of that was the reason they were even put together. But after this match, we go to kind of a pre state thing where Al Snow is out with Steve Blackman, still trying to help him develop a personality. And so he set him up on a blind date, and Blackman he's asking Al Snow, you know, where's where'd you meet us? Go, oh, you know, I know her from my, my therapy group. So, yeah, oh, and then she comes up and she's all hyperactive. She's talking, like, oh my God, Steve Blackman, i like, to quote, uh, as we'll see for the next couple of segments, to quote Bochabina, she talks too
1: much, she never shuts up. <laughs> Do you know what? I think I'm about to shock you when I say this, but um, Head Cheese might be one of my favorite tag teams ever. Legitimately. I love this partnership of Al Snow and Steve Blackman. I remember watching it at the time. I absolutely loved it because it was a proper, like, Blackman was funnier because he was so straight laced and it was that sh- and it was that supposed lack of personality that made him so funny and Al Snow just perfectly bounces off him. And the moment the camera cut to them on what looked like to be a double date in matching Hawaiian shirts, I was just like, Oh my god, I'm so happy to see this. And I, I just I spent like even though the woman is talking really fast and won't shut up. I was smiling all the way through. I'm not gonna lie. I loved these segments. These for me were some of my favorites when I was first watching SmackDown. Head Cheese is one is one of my most underrated favorite te- teams ever. They are my boys. I will cheer them on every day of the week. So this for you might not have been a great segment. I don't know, but for me, this was everything I wanted and more. <laughs> I think it's time we took a time out from the podcast to just. Uh,
0: drop into how uh, Sam's trail run is going
1: <laughs> at the minute you're fired you have it very well uh, do you know what? I'm surprised that I'm only fired. I was thinking at this rate it was going to be security. We'll have to escort you um, off of the premises at which point I was really hoping that Bradshaw and Farouk would show up and you had paid them basically in cr- uh, cr- Corona beers because you know uh, nobody's buying them at the moment so you might as well get them cheap and then they can drag me off of the stage and they'd be like well, now I guess I'll just do this by myself. Uh huh. That would have happened, but uh they don't accept PayPal. Unfortunately. So. Bastards.
0: <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, this is my seem random, but that at the moment you're fired, so it's not going very well. What what race TV show is that a reference to people? Let me know if you got that. And if you do, we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, it's not a big reference, but it's just a random thing I said in an episode. But I'm because re- jokes are funny when you have to explain them. But we will we'll go back into the you arena, know, because like you said, we had a good like good pace and so it's the two great matches. Now let's bring things way down. Mm. And it's time for your long promo segment. come the big show and Shane McMahon, or as I've uh, more accurately described them in my notes, given that Shane's wearing the suit and the Big Show's wearing a very large denim t skit. I outcome Chris Farley and David Spade from
1: Tommy Boy. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't help that I swear Shane McMahon looks like he's wearing his dad's jacket because it looks a little big on him. The sleeves look like it comes way down and it's like on his shoulders. So I just uh, have a vision of basically two teenage boys who are um, who look a bit who are a bit taller than they actually are, trying to look cool. One of them wearing his dad's um, blazer and the other one wearing denim because it makes him look cool and trying to get into the club. Um, I, I'm just really glad to see. That Shane is as popular as ever, as we get the strongest chance of the night, basically calling him an asshole, until he then gets replaced with even louder chance of Rocky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to
0: carefully. Like, yeah, I missed you too. And, all that. and he basically says about, I know my biggest mistake my father made is that he didn't crush Stone Cold before Stone Cold could become an icon. But I'm not going to make that mistake with The Rock. So basically, saying like, I don't. My dad didn't want Stone Cold to be one of the biggest stars in wrestling. And I don't want The Rock to be one of the biggest stars in wrestling, regardless of what you people say. Because he claims that the WWE needs the big show to go on at WrestleMania and win the WAF title. Whereas then The Rock comes out and basically says that you guys never have stopped The Rock from going to WrestleMania. But, you know, and he kind of be excited that The Rock has now nothing to lose if he's not going to WrestleMania. He seemingly kind of accepted that he's not going to Mania. But he says, I will always be the people's champion. And was he's trying to challenge them to a handicap match later on in the show. And Three's like, yeah, fine, 'cause well, she's like she's had enough stuff. like, yeah, I've got I've got the big show, I probably don't need to do anything the big show, I'll just that of the rock. And I'll just sneak in when I need to, but then out comes Rikishi. He wants to team with the rock and do it for the people. Uh <laughs> I was so happy with myself when I when I thought of that.
1: Thing. Yeah, I I could I could I could hear the smile coming through <laughs> on that on the headphones when you were when you said that. I was like, oh, I bet Scott was so proud of himself when he came up with that one. <laughs> t- took the rest of the day off. Of. <laughs> it was only ten in the morning. Oh. Right, let's not work too hard. Don't don't put yourself out too much, honestly. <laughs> uh. <laughs> right.
0: right. And there's like
1: there's people here they want to
0: see two things. They want to see the big show get the rock bottom and they want to see He turns around a McMahon's face in my bottom. <laughs> and so they set up a tie team match for Kishi and The Rock. You know, the real life, they're related and uh, they're putting them together on screen because, you know, maybe at some point later in the year that will become relevant.
1: Yeah, I, I will say that um, there's a couple of things I was thinking of when I was watching this one. Um, first of all, Shane, for all of his faults, is really good at generating heat from the audience, which you can Mm -hmm. see. And it was probably a really good idea to put him with the big show because we saw bits of his reign as WWF champion and the underwhelming reactions he was getting at the time. And he just wasn't getting any connection either as a baby face or heel and shane is really good at generating that heat and by connection transferring it to the big show so that was one good thing i thought is that shane comes out he has a relatively legitimate reason for what he's trying to do that explains his heel turn you can kind of live with it um big show by connection is now an asshole as well so he's gotten some heat the rock when he comes out unsurprisingly is electrifying and the crowd love him and you can always see why he's such a big star um it's it's more noticeable in this segment but um it's really fascinating when when watching the rock up at the entrance i don't know whether you noticed this but they would do like a side shot so you could have him and the video screen on the side of the entrance behind him so mm-hmm. you could see the Big Show and Shane reacting from The Rock. And I thought that from a direction point of view, that was really good and really clever. And I, my first thought was, was Kevin done on holiday that day? Um, <laughs> but it could actually be an expired, expired moment from him because it turns out even a smash clock might actually be white once, a, once a day. Um, but Shane's reaction when it comes to what Rikishi is saying... Was very reminiscent of Fence McMahon because he did the massive gulp. And I, I have to admit, that for me was a highlight because Shane can, like Fence, can put over so much with that one massive gulp that some people can't do with like the longest promo, uh, talking about how it's gotten personal and shit like that. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. Who you could possibly be talking about? It. I don't know. No, no, absolutely, absolutely not. I, I couldn't imagine. But um, it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a great segment in that it takes too long um, with the starter of Big Show and Shane. But once The Rock comes out, the crowd gets reinvested and gets a bit of uh, life into them again. And the Rikishi coming out is a good sign because it's showing that. There's actually, they're probably thinking long-term with him in that he's getting these really good connections with the crowd and he's getting a good rub by working alongside The Rock because they they don't act, they won't put anyone with The Rock. It has to be someone actually worthwhile. And it starts thinking to yourself that he's not going to be a main eventer, but if they play it just right, this is a good baby face that they could really have battling in the main event. So you know, of of course, that's going to go completely down the shitter soon. But for the moment, <laughs> it's nice to have hope. Okay?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 100%. But So there we have our main event set up. You know, it's actually with a rock and rikisi, they kind of help make it a bit more entertaining uh, than it usually would be if, like, say, somebody else was involved in this. But then we go backstage where dealer Brown is very naturally playing a WWE Smackdown on the PlayStation, while while playing as himself, if you noticed. Uh, and Kurt Angle's talking to him about his Euro-Coronel titles, when uh, Slaughter can entered us and said that Godfather's looking for him. So kind of been that important, because Godfather and d don't even appear on this show. So, you know, as they said earlier in the day, I would have believed him, because I might think, ah, oh, my Sunday Night Heat match is about to be taped. But... That's right. That seems a bit harsher than I meant it to be. But, uh, so, <laughs> the deal leaves these games. Just turns the whole thing. off, doesn't pause. It just turns the whole thing off. Uh, and Kurt Angle gets annoyed that Slaughter interrupted his conversation, uh, so that randomly Kurt Angle challenges Slaughter to challenge him for the Intercontinental title later in the night. Uh, I can see what they were thinking by having Slaughter versus Angle and you know, the whole American Hero kind of thing. This kind of seem very out of left
1: field. Just sets up. It's been set up with one backstage segment. What I find, there's, there's several elements that I find both interesting and weird. So, I, as usual, I keep notes because that's what I'm good at. Um, Dino Brown playing SmackDown, uh, I thought was a great touch. I obviously played as himself. Don't know whether you noticed he was... He, he added that he was battling Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, when playing SmackDown. And I thought that was actually quite a clever method of keeping Austin in people's thoughts. Like, even though he's not being mentioned on screen, he still shows up in the background. There's still these little clips to almost like reinforce in your memory about him. So, as to like a subtle inclusion, uh, which I really liked. Um, and it actually even did really well in leading into Michael Coe's promotion straight afterwards because, you know, uh, has Sh- got a shill, you know, and Coe is good at shilling. Um Sergeant Slaughter versus Kurt Angle, see, it feels like the sort of thing you could you could take a week to book, like to make mm. it a bigger moment, as opposed to just like I'll keep my gear in my bag. And it's like, cool, do you watch That's it? Kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. I, I every now and again I'll come out and wrestle, maggot. Um but um what's what I'm one of the things I'm I'm very surprised about is the fact that Kurt Ang- you said earlier on that Kurt Angle defends the European title on one show and he defends the Intercontinental title on the other show. I'm really surprised that he defends the European title on Raw and defends the Euro- Intercontinental title on SmackDown. I would have thought it would be the other way around because the flagship show surely would have the big belt, the Intercontinental title, and mm. the European title, the one that's always been treated as like a, um, a um, black sheep cousin, basically. Uh would surely appear on SmackDown, but the fact that they did it the other way round, I was very confused and surprised by. So, uh, I, make more sense to me having the European title for Sergeant Slaughter to battle over because it's not that big a deal, but if you're having what could be your second biggest title in the company on the line against what is probably an over 50 year old at that time is questionable at best, mm-hmm. but. The thing I'm most interested about, and this is where I'd like to introduce what is possibly going to be a weekly inclusion. I hope you're prepared for this because this shows how interested I am in getting through this (laughs) uh, job application. Um, So far, we've had the tag team match between Rock and Rikishi versus Big Show and Shane McMahon booked. And we've now had a challenge from Sergeant Slaughter to Kurt Angle. So that means we've had two matches that have been booked on the fly so now what i'm interested in noticing later on is what our original main event was going to be because it's always fascinating to see technically what the bookers would have had planned if it was a if it was like a real life show and you go do you know what i was really excited for the main event um and then they booked a show uh, booked a match during the show that turned out to be the main event and that's when i got my money's worth so i I will keep an eye on this one, and I will be keeping a record on a weekly basis. How many matches get booked on the fly, and what our original main event was going to be? So, be prepared. I have notes. <laughs> I do often wonder that. Uh, you, know, you try not to think about too much.
0: You're watching a wrestling show, but how often like a match has been booked like for later on in the night, especially the main event. So you wonder, like this billion dollar company, what were you planning on for the main event before this segment took place? So it's interesting to think about, but. It's also funny is that this is the second thing we've done an episode where they've done an advertisement for a video game. Because I'm pretty sure the first one of the episodes that we did, along you know, one we were talking about being personal was Tess, before he got kidnapped, was showing playing WrestleMania 2000 on the N64, where, again, he played still himself fighting
1: Triple H. Yes, I remember that actually. I remember that. And it was because like, I think Stephanie was preparing for the wedding and she was like mm-hmm. t- talking to him, and t- and Tess was just like basically not having any of it, just looking <laughs> away. Uh, and then ended up having to go uh, for a personal meeting with D Generation X in the car park, um, which actually sounds a little bit uh, darker and naughtier than I expected, a bit like a Edge in SA Rios party. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I I feel like there's is like there's going to be two ongoing things we're going to have to keep an eye out for. One, how many matches matches are put on the fly, and what the original main event was going to be. And two, what video game are our wrestlers going to be playing as themselves against <laughs> a main eventer? Because that's the only time they will have a real chance of winning a world title.
0: You know, it's a it's a particular brand of wrestlers that they get to uh, they get to advertise these these video games it's clearly not somebody they've got any other plans where you know test Dilo brown so yeah give a give a essay real he'll be shown backstage playing like leave me alone lita i'm trying to play no <laughs> no mercy on the n64 you'll probably say it in spanish but we'll hear that we'll understand the words no mercy
1: yeah and then lita will be like uh yeah, we'll just like uh put subtitles on the actual tv and uh, essay will we'll be like oh, i learned english because <laughs> uh, that would be totally a Vince McMahon thing to do I guarantee you um, I'm, I'm just waiting for when you inevitably get um, the good father uh, or no the godfather and D'Lo Brown beating back up probably because uh, D'Lo Brown owes him some money for some uh, loving ladies and that sort of thing uh, and during that time they're just playing video games together and it's like this is how I make my money Uh, and that sort of thing so i reckon there's gonna be a few more i can't wait to see it i'm very excited to see who the next main event was going to be i'm going to guess it will be the rock versus um crash holly (laughs) well speaking of crash
0: holly very well (laughs) uh intentional and that makes us into the hardcore title match crash (laughs) holly taking on Taz. And as with Hardcore Tailmatch, it's basically a race to see how quickly can we crawl through the crowd into the backstage area. Uh, so Taz just beats the hell out of a Crash. This is what kind of Crash is good at. I'm just getting the hell beat out of him. He gets slammed into a wall. Uh, and like as kind of has control of the match, Albert and the Bossman interfere because we can't have nice things. Because Saz uh, has been involved in a thing with Albert and Bossman where basically they had a shit match at, at No Way that went like a minute. Ended in the DQ. But like, oh look, they're beating up uh, Taz so much, but he keeps getting back up. How tough is Taz? Which in reality has made everybody look, my god, having Taz getting beat up so badly by him? He's <laughs> doing it with Taz the WWF. Taz gets his ultimate revenge by locking Albert in a freezer. <laughs>
1: I, I just like to imagine Prince Albert finally being released and coming out looking like a polar bear with white hair uh, and that sort of thing and uh, and so forth. Um, was it just me or did those wrench shots not sound gimmicked and neither did the 2x4? They sounded like they were hitting legitimately hard during this uh, segment. Yeah, a lot of this
0: sounded quite like very real <laughs> during this segment. So, you know, basically uh, I, I thought when Albert got sent in, I thought he was going to stay in there until TNA became a thing, uh, which <laughs> hopefully shouldn't be for a couple of weeks now. But yeah, they so get rid of Bossman, but then yeah, you've got a uh, Tat gets sprayed in the face by a fire extinguisher by, by a Crash and then smashes a uh, wood, well, I'm assuming a 2x4 over his head. And Crash retains is basically crashes strong suit as the hardcore champion. where basically, he gets beat up, manages to find like, some sort of weapon. And then wins and celebrates as if he did, as if he overcame all these odds, but, uh, just to escape. But we'll come back to a second because we'll go back to Blackman's day, where it's still going very badly for him because she just won't stop uh, talking. She's almost bringing her fish on the date or some for some reason. Uh, I got him all the stuff She doesn't want to order, and then we cut back to the arena where Crash is there. He very quickly met up with and Garcia. And this is very important, people. Crash says he is the greatest hardcore champion there has ever been. And he's so confident. He's going to put it on the line 24-7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, season 65 days a year. It's happened.
1: <gasps> oh, Joe, I've I, I got to lead with this. i got to lead with this, right? So when Crash Harley came out um, for the match originally, I actually put in my notes, WWF hardcore championship time. And I feel like it's about this time that crash announces the 24 seven rule, which is one of my favorite stories ever. So I was like, I'm sure it's got to be around about this time. So when they came back to him actually announcing it, I'm not going to lie. I was so fucking happy. It's ridiculous. As soon as they cut (laughs) to him and he was saying like, I'm the greatest hardcore champion ever. And I was just like, yes, I'm watching history. I love this moment. And I literally just put, yes, crash holly announces the 24 7 rule let the insanity begin and you know what i i cannot remember ever having as much fun with the present day 24 7 rule a title as i did watching this hardcore championship because it just became madness and i fucking love all of it at the same time, I have to mention, because it's really important, I'd just like to say that Steve Blackman and his pastor date, I ship them. Okay? Uh, <laughs> they are obviously the perfect couple. Uh, I still feel like they have more chemistry than pretty much, well, I'd say 90% of the relationships on this roster, especially Mae Young and Mark Henry. Um, and I just feel like they match so together. If Alice Snow was a woman, it would be her. Um, so we've got... A beautiful romance brewing in a restaurant, and we've got the creation of history as Crash Holly announces the hardcore championship 24 7 rule. And I love afterwards that the announcer is like, What? She's <laughs> like, They haven't realized they've just watched history. And I cannot wait for the next however many episodes I am allowed to actually be on before you fire my ass and getting to see mm-hmm. the 24-7 rule because I fucking love this. Love it. Uh,
0: yeah, I know. I, I think, again, this 24-7 this rule probably was it's an excuse to uh, have as many people involved in segments or film as many fun pre-tapes as they could, which we will see over the next couple of weeks. I don't know why, but when I looked at Blackman's Day I looked at it and I thought with the casting call for the, a woman to play has the basically like must look like a tuber a version of Daphne from WCW
1: <laughs> oh my I, oh shit that actually that would have been perfect if Daphne had actually been brought in and they used her that would have been amazing and then afterwards when I was like oh yeah yeah I, I remember, uh, yeah, we'll, look forward to seeing you at therapy and that sort of thing it would work perfectly <gasps> If she had joined head cheese oh you you would have had you would have had pasta head cheese, it would have been amazing oh why why do you have to get my hopes up about things that I know are gonna happen now why why did I do that? I'm encouraging it now. Yeah, you're going to encourage me wanting to see uh, basically Hedges and Daphne being basically an even better version of David Flair and Crowbar. And I'll just be like <laughs> taking my wallet out and throwing it at the screen going, yes, take my money, you crazy individuals, you. Go, you kids, go. A
0: better a better David Flair and Crowbar, go. That's like saying, well, I broke my right foot. That's not as painful as that time where I
1: broke my left foot. <laughs> to be fair, that left foot was really painful. Have you, have you not seen what happens at, um, at WWE events? All sorts. All it takes is being ran over by probably a wheelchair at this rate, and it'll be horrendous. So the fact that this time it was only being uh, broken with a chair, I will take that victory.
0: Anyway, we are on Xbox. And Road dog taking on Edge and Christian. Uh, Edge and Christian got a one over Hedges on Raw because they're there because for some reason she wants to manage them, but Edge and Christian aren't really interested. Uh, X-Pac and their team with Road Dog because Billy Gunn legit injured and injured his rotator cuff the Smackdown before No Way Out, and so I was like, they lost the titles to the Dudleys and now Billy Gunn was written off on Raw by basically being angry that X-Pac was taking his place. He got into a H's face and so DX beat up Belly Gun and threw him out of the locker room. So now Belly Gun's off to get surgery and won't be back for a good few months, I don't think. And so, Xbox has been paired with Road Dog because apparently Road Dog is too likable, so they need to pair him with Xbox. And out comes, quote, Tombstone Tory. Uh The commentators are referred to her as because she's been Tombstone twice now by Kane. Uh, X, this is a decent match, you know. Uh, Terry Reynolds does get involved. Yes, the cost on the match, and then Edge and Christian basically shove each other after the match, which was interesting to me, because I'd, I'd mentioned the fact that, oh, there were all these rumours, or like Bruce Prichard said, I guess there was talk of putting them up prior to WrestleMania, uh, but then they ended up, Edge and Christian basically begged to stay together, and they ended up agreeing with them. Now, I thought that, I couldn't, I tried to figure out where those, where they would start setting the seats for that, and I thought it would have happened way before, but like, we're five weeks away from WrestleMania, a very noteworthy moment in Edging Christian's career happens at this WrestleMania. And it's at this point they start teasing like dissension between the two. Like were they gonna do another T I T? Were they gonna have a singles match between the two over Terry services? I don't know what the
1: hell they were planning here. It 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 does seem a bit backwards that they would take a team that's not the most popular but it's starting to get a bit of a connection and i've done really well in the tag team ladder match um at no mercy and then they decide when they go back to actually doing something about them oh let's separate them and have them feud over terry again um which at this point it's been done and they had only really just started developing as a team. There was so much potential still to them, as we would see. Um, It feels like a very short-term decision to start having them arguing against one another, especially it would have been a huge game-changer because I feel this is where the transition begins from the weaker tag tag team division in 1999 to round about two thousand and one when the stat, when the tag team division is so stacked. This is roundabout when it starts getting really good because you've had the Hardy boys, you've got the Dudley boys, you've got Cool, and you've got Edging Christian, who are four relatively solid teams who are to solid to great teams, uh who can wrestle and get involved and that sort of thing. And the previous year they had Billy Gunn and Road Dog, who were supposed to be the best tag team in WWF history at the time. Now, when I originally watched this, I remember being quite confused that they broke up, uh, Billy Gunn and road dog and Billy Gunn had been, was not appearing anymore. Cause I didn't realize that he had an injury and I didn't read the, uh, web, uh, internet at the time. Now in retrospect, it's a lot less surprising to see them split up a team because that's obviously what Vince McMahon does. Um, it just, this seemed, this was really the point that Edge and Christian looked like they could really take advantage of the developing hole in the tag team division because of the fact that Will Dog and Billy Gunn were gone. The Acolytes weren't really appearing as much. Headbangers were gone. Uh, the Holly, Holly cousins has split up. There was a lot more potential to really take advantage of that missing um, piece. And the idea... That that could have been ruined by having them split and become a two singles wrestlers, who probably would have ended up not really doing much because Christian probably would have joined the Light Heavyweight uh, division and that wouldn't be doing much really. Let's be honest. At the time, it was just a one uh, surprise, uh, surprising enough to have SA Real's appear on SmackDown, let alone see the Light Heavyweight division become actually occurring regularly on television that isn't sunday night heat um and edge wasn't really strong enough to be battling for a singles championship even like the w european title he probably wasn't really at that level so you have ended up taking what was going to be a solid tag team developing into a good tag team and make, basically basically making two not great singles wrestlers so this feels like a huge um what if moment which was really lucky that it occurred um Mm -hmm. so i'm really glad that they changed their mind and christian obviously went to bat saying they wanted to stay together and they reaped the plaudits after this they really took get get take the ball and run with it and this is where afterwards they start to really develop themselves a great character start to demonstrate the charisma they have and basically go above the expectation um that was Four of them. Um, The only, I'd say, one of the only negatives whilst watching this match was the fact that one, Terry was getting more cheers than Edging Christian, and two, Jerry Lawler makes his first cringe comment of the evening, telling Terry, You've been a naughty boy, naughty girl, go to my room. Now, one positive is that he's at least waited 44 minutes into the show before he said anything like this, but he was a 50 year old man talking about a 33 year old woman, and I was just like, (sighs) creeper king comes comes back again so that was a slight negative however i don't know whether you noticed this during the match i love watching how smooth christian actually is like he like he's not perfect i won't say he's completely perfect as a wrestler but even now you can see how smooth a worker he is when like transitioning between x-pack and road dog and it is very close to seamless and I was really quite impressed watching it. Thinking to myself, he he actually even then had great potential. It's just that it wasn't being taken advantage of. And it would only be in the next month or two that they would actually start to take advantage of it and do really good stuff with it. Um, You haven't talked about the result yet, so I'll let you talk about the result because I want to discuss that afterwards, if I can. I
0: think I did. I think they showed the job because Terry kind of cost him. Because Terry slaps edge because like, he gets knocked down she tries to help him up but she's, he's like don't and uh, Christian tries uh, to referee like being on the outside so Christian gets hit with a low ball and hits, with an X Factor by uh, by Xbox because I didn't really talk about a lot of them. match because you know it's a decent enough match you know, good, decent edge, and Christian look like they're in control for most of it but then you'll see you know Terry was going to and I also I'm kind of I kind of almost chin out whenever I Christian wrestle as faces with well, the exception, mm-hmm. their pay-per-view match against the Hardy's—that uh, no way out. I'm just looking forward to healing I think, Christian. But I do agree with you that uh, I do agree with you that uh, them breaking up right now wouldn't be good because when they do break up, eventually they're both late like, developed and not confident enough on the mic and in the ring that they will uh, quickly form their own characters as soon as they broke up. Whereas I don't think they were in that position here quite yet. I don't think they would have had much say in their own characters then. I think they would have just been told you're broken up now. Here's your new thing. And they just had to make it work. But yeah, DX do get the win.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I do feel it's slightly weird that, you've, that Edge and Christian are supposed to be the number one contenders. Um, they've had it that they won at No Way Out. They won on Monday Night War. And now they job to DX a newly made team, which it is. I don't care that they've been in the same stable together. X-Pac and Road Dogg were not a regular tag team. It was Road Dogg and Billy Gunn who were a regular tag team. And you're telling me that your number one contenders had to lose to DX in this situation? Uh, To me, that didn't make much sense. And I I get that the whole point of it was probably to try and really push on the splitting them up. But then it becomes even more bizarre because you're like, well, why would you have a team you're going to split up become the number one contenders to the tag team titles. And it's just that sort of, that sort of booking at the end of it um, really com- confused me a little bit. Cause it seemed like one hand didn't know what the other hand wanted to do. Like one hand decided that they want to push Edging Christian as number one contenders and the other one want to push them as singles wrestlers. And it's like the two hands were battling trying to decide. And eventually they decide actually let's keep them as a team. Um, so the fact they keep them as the team makes it even more bamboozling that they would decide, oh, let's have a newly formed tag team in X-Pac and Road Dog defeat the number one contenders and do nothing with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like, I mentioned the,
0: uh, like, the X had broken up before. Like uh, Obviously, said the biggest match that Road Dogg and X-Pac had, had, had together was that Phil Wood in 99, they randomly fought uh, Billy Gunn and China for the rights to DX uh, because probably Triple didn't care enough about it, but uh, that situation ended up being meaningless very soon afterwards. When DX do get back together, yeah, and then the outlaws, like, each because Xbox right after fully loaded makes these thing with game more full time, and also we know how that went, Xbox yeah, like uh Xbox and Road Dog <laughs> even like they had a match on Raw for the, the Titan titles against the Dudleys, which. I'll get to that later on when we see what the Dudleys are up to because that led into that ties into Raw as well. But like even the fact that Xbox and Road Dog were there, it's like I think they tried to play it, it was like, Oh yeah, this is our rematch but Xbox fell in for you Billy because you're injured. Like, no, well they kinda they kinda say oh, I don't know if they fully say like when uh, they said that the Hardys would fight the Asian question they kept saying all oh, their normal contenders and so, like all oh, their contenders for WrestleMania but then they haven't made a decision. Are they to fight them at Wrestlemania or not because like again much like the Triple H one they're saying it's one thing from what we know we're going to get because they're well, I think the ones they want to believe that maybe at Wrestlemania it's going to be the Dudleys versus Edge and Christian for the tag team titles and kind of a straight up single match which we know it's, we're not going to get but you know what's more entertaining than this tag team match uh,
1: having my hair done
0: <laughs> well yes but another thing that is entertaining is uh, an advert for the Acolyte Protection Agency. Yes. Where they're they're in this like, kind of dusty like, office uh, where basically they, they keep their beers in some filing cabinet full of ice. And basically they're out of the good beers and they keep going through the different drawers and basically say, like, hire the APA because we need beer money, uh, which I just love. They have a better one on the following route which I'll tell you about now. Where basically it's them two driving in a car, basically like parading the opening, like, driving scene from Pulp Fiction. between same mm-hmm. time I on Travolta for, like, and I, re- and I knew usually that's what they were doing because Bradshaw says, you know, I, I've gotten fights all over the world. I've gotten fights in uh, Paris. You know what they call an ass kicking in Paris? What? Le boot de derriere or something like yeah.
1: that. <laughs> oh, I love that. I had I, to I admit, this was a really good commercial. And it re- it's a good opportunity to show the um, burgeoning charisma that Bradshaw and Farouk actually are. Because when they were, as just the acolytes, yeah, they were tough, but they were boring. They were boring. Because they were just like, they were basically tough guys who just hit people and nothing more to it. But this really allows them to bring their personality out, which I think is really good. And um, the Acolyte Protection Agency, running a long time, running alongside the 24 seven hardcore championship rules, I think are two of the biggest highlights throughout the majority of 2000. I I will, I will go to bat saying that because I feel that they just made every segment they appeared in a little bit more interesting because you never knew what was going to happen. And it's that lack of um, not uncertainty, but that um, it's that it's that possibility that anything can happen. Anything could occur because you've got these two combustible elements: the hardcore championship, which anyone can challenge for, and you've got the acolytes, who basically, if you pay them, they will beat the crap out of whoever you want, and it doesn't matter whether they're good, bad, or in between. And it's that it's those two wrinkles that I feel really invest a lot of energy in the majority of uh, War and SmackDown for the next eight, ten months easily. I. I'm really glad to see both of them appearing already, and I guarantee there's going to be quite a few highlights coming up over the next few months, minimum, involving both of these storylines.
0: Yeah, I definitely would agree with everything you said there. Uh, let me see Shane, the big show, kind of barge any DX's locker room, and, you know, it's, it's very nice that they let us know that DX walking with a giant DX sign on the front of the door, otherwise how would we know? But, you know, you remember the when the first, Back we did, we talked about oh god, you know they really should have put tests in big of this
1: and really should have been uh got a run with a dough title. Yes, well, I do. I do remember that. As soon as this next match, I was thinking of that. <laughs> <Arcy>. <laughs> Up next they have test taking on Viscera because time
0: felling. <laughs> uh they tell us after a month of basically test nose being made of glass and got constantly injured and he went now oh, he's got a bad back because he foolishly tries to lift Vissera uh, hey, we'll Vissera tries to climb onto the timekeeper's table for some reason but Test ends up knocking him off <laughs> you know he, he keeps going at, injuring the back Someone dropped by Vissera you know then there's an exposed turn buckle spot where he gets sent into Test manages to get enough energy to slam him hits that really underrated elbow drop and mm. Test wins uh Mostly forgettable match.
1: Yeah, I. Um, it it was it was a TV match. It was harmless. There was no major issue to it. It did what it needed to, so it was solid. I had no issue with that. Um, I was amazed to see that the timekeeper's table was reinforced with metal because uh, that's obviously the only way Fissure can climb on top of it. Um, the fact that Tess saved his life by stopping Viscera was really vital, and I was glad to see that. Although that Samoan drop he did on Tess probably did rupture his spleen. Um, it- Viscera is just a very underwhelming character. like He gets minimal reactions from the crowd. Tess seemed to get a uh, okay reaction when he came out. Uh, from what I could hear, they still the crowds still seem to have some sort of connection to him. And I will say, tests, body slam and top rope elbow drop were both impressive in order to gain the victory. But I do think it was a mistake for him to do that on an average episode of SmackDown because nobody remembers it. Nobody remembers that he picked up fist right and slammed into the ground. Nobody remembers him doing the top rope elbow drop. If they had, if they had done better and planned for it and built it up, even like if it was like in the Royal Rumble, for instance, make it more memorable because Fisra is not an easy guy to pick up. He's not someone that you throw around like a rag doll. So the fact that Tess did it deserved a lot more credit. But just like the majority of tests booking for the end of ninety nine and two thousand, well, beginning of two thousand, it's just wrong time, wrong place and ends up not being memorable.
0: Yeah. A lot of people forget that Tess was the guy Crash actually beat the previous week to, to win the hardcore title, and, you know, this is a match I would see happening, like, at the hardcore title was on the line, because E2 probably kind of got mixed up in that division, but without it, like you said, yeah, it's just a TV match for the sake of it. Like, Tess does get the occasional moments of really, just, like, being really shown, getting really highlighted, like, especially with moves like that elbow drop, but Never fully worked. He does get something worthwhile on a couple of weeks' time. Uh, a very noteworthy tag team, or or kind of a forgotten tag team, but I think they're better than people remember them being. But we go back to Steve Blackman as he dates on the phone, talking about the date, which I don't care who you are. That's very rude on an actual date. And while while Al Snow pays the uh, the piano player to basically sing a song about personality, <laughs> uh, while he while he. We're, Fully dances in the background. of Steve Blackman was like, "Why am I surrounded by idiots?"
1: <laughs> oh, Joe! You know, Steve Blackman comes out with some tremendous one-liners. He is so underrated. I, you know, I, I it this reminds me a little bit of watching um, when Mick Foley and Al Snow went to Las Vegas, um, <laughs> where I, I think we we was like we could we could watch quite a few of this just because it just it was a sort of daft stuff that. Puts a smile on your face, and mm-hmm. that's what Head Cheese does as a team. I think so. They just they make you smile. They make you enjoy watching, and it just works. And I'm. It's it's one of my favorite parts of we watching these episodes is getting to see Head Cheese to, again because, God, they were so underrated. We <laughs>
0: move on, Angle has is going in have defense against Sergeant Floor, and just if Kurt Angle comes out he says like you know as a kid I used to admire Sergeant Slaughter you know but now he doesn't represent the three I's he represents the three B's bald bloated and I'm sorry to have to say this bonehead <laughs> uh, it's harsh for him to say the word bonehead just like like, like Sheldon the Big Bang so like, I don't usually say words like this but this is utter malarkey I've never <laughs> seen him. used the M word before <laughs>
1: Oh uh, yeah, it, it's the sort of d- dorky insult that only does Kurt Angle can make, and it, it's a it's a wonderful character moment. I love it, and I, I like listening to him uh, cut promos, and he's so confident on the mic now. It's really impressive how quickly he's taken to it, and his natural charisma comes out. And it's I I'd love watching the development of Kurt Angle, like getting to see these precursors to what we remember him as to what we got to enjoy seeing how good he actually was at the time and it's just these li- little bits of uh, in, uh, inspired moments like the three bees which he could have he could have gone with any other rem- remarks but he went with a proper dorky and so in bonehead and it just it works so well he's got his character down to a t and that's in four or five months. Which is so impressive. So I, I mean, I, I could watch Cat Angle pretty much do anything. But uh, to be fair, this is this is also needs recognition because it is our first on the night match made. So we know that this was not the main. This is not going to be the main event, uh, and we and we will keep an eye out for what the original main event was afterwards.
0: Yeah, definitely, but. The match itself, uh, I'm glad probably wasn't an event because, you know, Sergeant Slaughter is not a full time wrestler anymore. I'm pretty sure his last actual match may have been uh, December '97 in your house, DX. He fights Triple H in a boot cap match. That was a match that actually had some build up to because Slaughter was like the commissioner and DX were basically making his life miserable. Like they were wearing these like face masks, like face shields long before COVID because apparently. Slaughter keeps spitting when he talk, they call him Sergeant Slobber <laughs> like that. but I can see why they had this match you know, it's weird that he's in control for actually most of the match uh, it was a bit where Angle's trying to fire a Cobra clutch but they roll through and it looks like he accidentally drives Slaughter head first straight into the mat
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, it, weird. So it kind of feels weak, kind of uncoordinated goes for another Cobra guard Angle does at the Olympic Slam for the win and celebrates again, like like all victories, is if it's the greatest thing he's ever accomplished.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I I I noticed that moment where where it looked like he landed on his head slightly as well, and it looked it was a little bit sloppy, and I was starting to get a little bit worried that um, something bad could happen. But um, to be fair to Sarge, I will say that when he got whipped into the corner. um his tumble over the corner and over the ropes was really impressive, especially as it as I looked this up he was actually fifty two when he did that, which is oh. to be fair, I probably couldn't do that at thirty two so I'm not going to give him much grief about that, but I'm glad that Kurt Angle got the clean victory because he shouldn't need to cheat against the sergeant slaughter, but I was a little bit annoyed that slaughter reacted so quickly afterwards like literally as soon as the referee hit the free count sort of sort of like jumped up a little bit as if like he'd he'd, damn i almost i almost kicked out and i'm like why is a retired sergeant slaughter being made to look relatively strong after the finish he's not important enough to get that so Mm -hmm. i was a little bit disappointed in that aspect um i don't know whether that was egos in there or something like that but um, I'm glad to see Kurt Angle get the victory. I feel like I do. I do wish that it could have gotten a bit more of a build up and, and attention because, considering the history they could have built between the two of them, especially as two different representatives of the um, um, American Dream and that sort of thing, it just I feel like there was a little bit of a missed opportunity and they sort of like hot shot it a little bit. But to be fair. I'm not going to be that bothered that I missed out on a week-long feud between a 52-year-old Sergeant Slaughter and a uh, young Kurt Angle. It's not mm. going to be the biggest loss in my life.
0: Yeah, I get it. yeah, I get it. Kurt Angle celebrates backstage yeah, by throwing big bags of popcorn around in front of a disgruntled employee who looks like, I'm going to have to clean that up. Who so I bet it probably wasn't meant to be dice, probably just a guy who legit works for that building. Like, these guys coming over here and making more work for me. Uh, this, this next match, I believe, this may have been the match that would have been the main event had a Big Show, like Big Show, and Shane versus Rock and should not have been made as we have Kane taking on their tight team champions the Dudley Boys in a handicap match because Kane came out during x and Road Dogg's opportunity, basically to get at x pac because uh, he's not done with them, and x escaped, but everybody else, apart from x pac and Tori, took chokeslam because
1: Kane is just on a rampage at the minute. This was probably up up until now, every everything that was happening I could sort I could sort of get behind and I was enjoying and there were some good matches and I was I, I, I would say it was a good episode. I would say up to now it was a good episode um in terms of the booking, the pacing, the uh matches itself. I, I had no issues whatsoever watching so far. This was the match that changed it for me, and this is this is my this is definitely my least favorite match of the night. And I'm gonna there's the reason why is that I have several issues with it, which is that um so the first thing is is that you got Kane facing the Dudley Boys uh, because he attacked them on war after going for an X Pack, and then my my question my worry is is that why is it they're sacrificing their new tag team champions to a single star? Now I know it's Kane, I know he's a former WWF champion, but You shouldn't be having what is your new tag team champions who need to be built up at this stage being faced against a big red monster. To me, that was a bad decision. I didn't like that. Um, If you had to have it that Kane was facing two men at once in order to make him look strongly, and and supposedly, according to this, it was set up by Triple H because he was wanting to protect his mates, obviously, X-Pac, etc. Then I think to myself, why not put in a team like too cool who could take the loss who can actually get sympathy in the match and that sort of thing and then my third question why the fuck do you sacrifice your new tag team champions after you just beat the new age outlaws you your supposed best tag team in the new age outlaws you've just had them defeated by the dudley boys then the new tag team champions this is literally what three, four days after the pay-per-view when they need to be made to look strong because it's their first reign, and you're sacrificing them in a handicap match. Now, I don't care what the result is because, yeah, obviously, uh, the the I'm, I'm going to spoil it now. I don't care that Kane technically loses this match because he loses only because he was disqualified. Now, he actually ends up basically not looking weak at all, and the Dudley boys are left with a very hollow victory it's like they won but just survived and i just i don't understand the booking for this match i don't understand why they would sacrifice a new tag team champions to a single star especially when like you don't need to do handicap matches it's not it's uh it's i i find this ironic considering <laughs> where we're going to go later on but handicap matches should not be your go-to you should not have your big monsters um appearing regularly in handicap matches and that sort of thing every other week it feels it has to be a really big surprise and you definitely don't sacrifice your new tag team champions i just don't understand the thinking behind this and i don't like it i was annoyed about this match because i felt it was a mistake and i i just i i don't get it i don't get it i love kane i know he's your favorite i i didn't like this segment because i thought it was a bad decision all round and i just i didn't like it i'm not gonna be honest this was the first thing in the event in the in the show i actively disliked because i thought it made more detriment than it did actually achieve anything you
0: can see where you're coming from from that you know
1: I feel I feel
0: it more weird that Xbox didn't get involved because I know Xbox doesn't want to be associated with Kane anymore because he wants to get away from because Kane is like, you know, constantly trying to kill him. But you know, like I'm used to people coming out and interfering, and then that person interferes on the other, on the other person's thing later on, and you know, you keep seeing the same people in multiple segments. Uh, so I've kind of come like used to that cause that's kind of the style of this time, and so that the didn't try and get involved to help the Dudley's try and put Kane through a table or anything like that it was interesting because like. Yeah, like Dudleys do work Kane over, but it does take them all before they eventually get him down to like get in control because Kane is a monster so he has to no matter what the numbers still if dominant. Mm-hmm. Even then to get one of like key moves like the head button to the groin while uh, Paul Bear is arguing with the referee so still they need to do and so he gets behind the rest back to take down Kane. And also the fact that Kane also like, he took us through a table which causes the D Q. But like before that he did that counter and the Dudleys attempt to put him through a table. Uh, was I'm pretty sure it was part of the orders by DX to uh, hurt Kane or put him through a table and all that. So the Dudleys would have gotten sales DQ'd if, they, if their plan had went successfully, given that Kane reversed it, the one through, and that led to the DQ. So the Dudleys really appear not very bright either. We, you know, I don't think I think the part of the gimmick is that they're not that smart when they came in, and then like Bubba goes down and on going and only says the winner is by DQ, uh, Bubba and Evo and Bubba celebrates the fact that they won despite the fact his partner is currently.
1: Flying through a table. To be fair, that may just be the uh six years of uh, uh continuous concussions that the man has probably <laughs> inherited. Um it, his brains are probably more scrambled than an omelette, you know, it's ridiculous. Uh, it doesn't even surprise me. It it's the it's the it's the shit cherry on top of the shit show that is this shit cake. That after all of that bollocks, um that Bubba A. Dudley celebrates a disqualification victory. Weister's partner, his br- his brother, um, is basically laid out on a table. It's it's just. I don't think there was a single part of this match that was booked correctly, uh, basically. And I think it's a mess. I think it's detrimental. I think. I don't think either side actually comes out of this well. I think the Dudley Boys look weak because they've uh, basically been beaten up by one person. I think Kane looks stupid because he's dis- he's been disqualified after choking choke Sam and Devon through a table. Um, it just it's. I'd almost rather that the match had been that um, Dudley Boys run in, attack Kane. Uh, put him through a table, get disqualified because they've been paid off by DX, and then Kane gets up and still chases them, or something like that. Something that speaks to the two characters, that Kane is an unstoppable monster, and the Dully boys just want to put people through tables and then aren't bothered about the match. So uh, that, to me, would make more sense, but I think the biggest sense would have been just not Book handicap match, don't book the match because you don't gain anything. I'd almost rather if it had literally been Kane versus D Ron or Kane versus Bubba Ray Dudley or something like that. And then that to me would make more sense because technically you could still have it that they're working on behalf of DX trying to beat up Kane, except I just it feels like they went. Oh, let's do a handicap match, and then then consider the actual consequences of the handicap match. If they had spent longer than I have talking about it, they may have actually made a good decision. I this was the what the weakest segment of the show for me. It was the segment I disliked the most, and I think it's the one segment that puts a downer on the overall package, because even Shane and Big Show doing their speech early on, still got good reactions from the crowd, and still got the Rock and Mikishi involved, this is the weakest section for me of this show
0: I think like, you've bit of more than the match actually ha- went on so I think it was <laughs> thought that they, uh, they did fit in but unfortunately it was after that match that all of Sam's streams were dashed, when uh, it's revealed that Steve Blackman ran out on his date, as El Snow friends sitting by ourselves, you does not seem upset about it Uh, because she's crazy so you know apparently she's not angry about it she says oh yeah he said he had to go something about having a brain aneurysm or something like that so he then sits sits down casually while there's still food where Batman was sitting, and and starts asking her about her fish or whatever and then if that wasn't mental enough we didn't go before the main event Crash is leaving the building while William Garcia is uh, casually on the payphone he's like are you going to wear that title back to the hotel like yeah, I'm the hardcore champion. I'm defending 24-7. She laughs at him. But as she gets to the parking lot, he's attacked by the mean street posse. so much <laughs> madness in such a small
1: window. Uh, I, just, I have to admit, um, I, if anything was going to save my mood after that Dudley Boys Kane se- section, uh, going back to head cheese and then the 24-7 rules, it's like the writers. 21 years ahead of schedule when you know what this will get sam back on side because <laughs> when she's like yeah he said something about a brain aneurysm i'm not gonna lie i laughed i did laugh because i could totally see steve blackman saying it and to be fair at that stage i felt like i just had a brain aneurysm watching the previous segment but um i, I that little bit with without snow just sitting down having the meal with her was a nice little touch it, it made me smile and um the madness begins with the 24-7 rules. And I love the fact that in just this one segment, it very quickly sets up three of the major troop tropes that will occur in the 24-7 rule, which is they basically a random wrestler appearing from nowhere with a confused referee, because you I think you saw it, Jimmy Corderas, looked so confused. I wouldn't be surprised if he'd been at the buffet trying to get a chicken and someone literally just grabbed him and said, You have a shirt, come with me. Okay. Uh, the second thing is it introduced a random but fun location now we've seen previous episodes obviously where the uh, where a limo uh, boot gets used to put someone into but this really takes the um the uncomfortable nature of it and turns it into fun where they're trying to pin the crash inside the actual um boot of the car and the uh, boot of the limo and basically are fighting over it and then the third trope is Crash Holly running, or in, this se- or in this example, driving off into the night? And it just, in a nutshell, it instantly tells you what the possibilities are of what the 27, 24-7 Wars is going to be. And watching this just makes me ridiculously happy, because I feel like I'm watching the very birth of the heyday of the Hardcore Division. This is the beginning of where it's at its best. And I'm so looking forward to the next few episodes watching the Hardcore Championship and Crash Holly and Mean Street Posse and all of the jobbers that are going to get involved, etc. This made me smile and got me prepared for the main event or the tonight's main event just made up on the fly. Um, to, it made me very happy. So I'm I was, I'm glad. I'm glad with these two segments.
0: Yeah. So, I like, yeah, you said, they because he can't decide who's going to get this in, so that Crash manages to escape. And that's the thing about the Hardcore you know, I think in the after there, one of the things that he's talking about, Russo, I know he's not around in the WF anymore, but one of his like, positives was that everybody had a storyline. And that's the thing with the Hardcore title, that it gives certain guys a storyline that makes you interesting. Like these guys, I couldn't care less about prior to this. And uh, I think anything else I've seen them on as part of this review, but I'm looking forward to see the stuff they do with Crash in the weeks that follow. So, you know, they've actually somehow managed to get me interested in uh, a street policy versus Crash Holly kind of program, which I don't think was possible, but somehow add the 24-7 rules and you manage it. But then we go into uh, Rikishi and the Rock versus Big Show and Man, or is it? No. It is, it is not. it is seems today? you know what, he's got a more fitting replacement as he brings out Triple H. Because... I actually thought, wow, it's been, has, we actually haven't seen Triple H all Friday, other than the recap. It's very rare that Triple H is involved. Maybe we'll do a runner up noise in the match.
1: Yeah, I had the same thing. Well, I was like, uh, I, I got to the main event. I was actually like, huh, oh, we haven't seen Triple H or Stephanie actually so far, especially like, considering they, they hinted, uh, the fact that you saw Shane and Big Show go into their room, but not actually meet them. I was half expected to find out that they were actually off that show. um, and then when they revealed that Triple H was taking over, I was just like, oh, yeah, that, that yeah, yeah, yeah. I should have known we will not go an entire show without him appearing. But, but it instantly made me curious of um, what exactly does Triple H gain doing a favor of Shane, <laughs> um, which I don't know whether they actually go into it at any point, what he actually gains from it. But it's quite curious that he would decide to do this. Um and also, it turns out Big Show is very much a gentleman because he holds the ropes open for Stephanie. The correct ropes at the second time of asking, but he holds the ropes open for her. So, get on show. He's such a gentleman.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have. Like, he still got a kind of a bad idea that was taken out by the Kiel a couple of weeks ago. It's like a segment, uh, me and Nathan talked about it, uh, when he was on here recently, where because he goes backstage with a really heavily taped up ankle. And and you ah, my leg, you know that. And they have the doctor back there. going, "Where's the pain?" And he's yelling, "Where the hell do you think it is, my leg?" The fucking leg.
1: Oh, where's the pain? Well, it's not my leg. You know the bit that's bleeding, that's got the bruises on it that I'm holding, saying, "Ah, my leg," and that sort of thing. Oh, god, it, like. <laughs> I say at the
0: time. Thank God, I don't. I was, I would not want this doctor around if someone's having a fucking heart
1: attack. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So someone's someone's having a heart attack, and they're like, have we, "Have we got a doctor? Have we got a doctor?" And he's just like, "Why does he have a pain in his foot?" They just be like, "You are useless. Just leave. Just leave, please. You you are of no benefits whatsoever." Oh. So like, so
0: that ankle does get uh, worked on by the heels. Uh, uh, they do try to do some like, power swap between Rikishi and Big Show, because of like, oh, they're two of the only guys who can really outpower the other because they're so big. But, like Big Show even tried to size them. Rikishi looks like he's very much struggling uh, to get him up. You know, they're trying to uh, think face. Like, you know, Rikishi looks like at one point he could tag it up up and say he wants to do the think face instead. Uh, and him. The Rock does get hot side at the same time, H, so the Rock gets into Triple H, which is probably why he wanted. Then on the outside, somehow like the referee doesn't have an issue with this. Rikishi gets hit with a field chair. <laughs> and then, by Big Show, then Rikishi, and then the Big Show, actually only hits Triple H with the chair. Rock bottom, people's elbow. Rock and Rikishi get the win. So, you know, I think it makes it up for Raw, where the heel is too tall, and, uh, oh, God, how could we see this? I mean, the heels suddenly can't get along, you know, the two heels and are each
1: other at a WrestleMania. Shock, Howard! I never thought this was going to happen. So it's <laughs> uh, it it was it, it's it's uh it's basically booking one on one. But um, I would say the uh the the best parts of this match for me is the opportunity that's given to Rikishi here because he's getting a. Mm. A good, a good reaction from the crowd. Obviously, it's eclipsed by the huge reaction for The Rock. But um, the fact that he's in there with, what are the three biggest main eventers at the time? Yeah, apart from Kane, you've got the three top stars active on the roster at the moment. Um, and he is heavily involved in it. And he actually works quite well, surprisingly, as a good sympathetic baby face. Because like, because he's got that ankle injury, it makes him really easy for um the heels to build up heat on him. So the crowd is invested when he's trying to when he's struggling for the hot tag. And then I love the fact that you can almost see in his brain him go, No, me must shove ass in Big Show's face. Um <laughs> But afterwards he does a very impressive smo and drop on Big Show, which um was very like i said very impressive and i was uh i thought that was a really good moment to allow him to get the hot tag and it was a proper hot tag this wasn't grandmaster sexy hot tag which was a brief flare this was spit and vinegar and uh and all sorts like mag uh, magma and lava all flaring everywhere because the crowd is reacting to everything um now, thankfully, we've discovered that Earl is actually deaf because of the fact that he didn't hear the steel chair to Rikishi's ankle. Um, so it's it's nice to know that we have a referee who can't hear what's going on. But it was actually a very clever finish, I thought, the way they set it up. Because, first of all, you've got it, The Rock gets a semblance of revenge after being screwed over twice, which is really vital. Um, you've got it, the, the Big Show and Shane's habit of using a chair on The Rock backfires on the third occasion because if you think about it, it's happened at No Way Out, it was successful, it happened on Monday, it was successful and the third time is where it backfires on them so it shows that there's a development going on there. The third thing is that it creates a, a schism between uh, Triple H and Big Show and that will help to the build up to the WrestleMania main event um, so it does it's achieving multiple odds to it and finally you have it that Triple H loses to rock but he's also kept protected as he took the chair shot so it's actually probably one of the cleverest finishes on the actual night which makes it so much more depressing that some of the finishes earlier on were so laxed days ago but <clears throat> overall I thought this was a, a very hot main event that the crowd were very invested in really enjoyed it and it did its job and it sent the crowd home happy and I don't, I don't think you can have a single complaint about this as a main event. The only thing I'm curious to find out is why Triple H decided to take Shane McMahon's place. If we mm. don't find that out, then I'm going to be annoyed. But to be fair, I'm, I'm not going to count. Uh, going to hope for much. But overall, yeah, very happy.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't hold your breath on an explanation. You know, was <laughs> you know, like we're really going to get one, or, or even one that meaningful. So. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure there was a bit of a beat down by the Eagles afterwards, John, you know, because, like, you know, for some reason, the Rocking because you can't stand off for too long. But, yeah, that I may mean, if I was solid, it did it, what it needed to do. And it takes us over one more week as we're on the road to WrestleMania 2000. But now, clocking out just around two hours, that is us, that is us recapped the March 2nd episode of SmackDown. So, um uh same for you to tell me what moment from the uh, SmackDown or match you would tell me you would check and watch the had uh, they recommend one thing, and where would your thumb be for the of factor
1: so uh, for me it's 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 probably gonna sound quite random, but I would say that the most memorable moment and what you should have to watch as good as the two opening matches are, and I do think those are very good. I think the most memorable event and what you need to watch is everything related to Crash Holly because you're actually seeing history occur. And Crash Holly is a very underrated member of the roster, I feel, especially for his work uh, during this time period in the year 2000 and 2001. I think he really helps elevate the Hardcore Championship to the point that it is almost worthwhile And when you see good title reigns by, say, Raven or Rhino or Steve Blackman or someone like that, that's the work he's put in. And this is where it begins. And the announcement of the 24-7 war as well is such a big nostalgic moment. I feel anything related to Crash Holly has to be the first thing you watch on this show because of how important the moments are and how fun they are. They are actually fun. So he's like the original R-Truth. So, if you like Card Truth for the 24-7, but, you know, better booking, watch this.
0: I definitely agree with that. Uh, where'd your thumb be? Up there in the middle.
1: I'd say, I would actually say thumbs up. I would say this is a great show. Uh, it's definitely the best one we've watched so far, I'd say, in that it flies—it flew by. Every match is at least okay. I will, I will say, even Kane versus the Dudley Boys, isn't a badly wrestled match it's just bad booking and if you're not bothered about the booking if you're not like me who is really it was really invested in the minute details and that sort of thing if you don't care about that you'll probably enjoy it so every match flies by it's at least okay none of the matches overstay their welcome so i would actually say um it's not going to be like the classic episodes that we're likely going to likely see down in like say the SmackDown six year or something like that. But in these original days of SmackDown, this I would say is a really good example of the benefits having a second show is, and it's I would say it's definitely a thumbs up.
0: Yeah, I would. I think for some reasons I would give it a thumbs up because thought sort of one, there's a lot to really delve into. It's good for this show, but there's a lot to kind of really enjoy as a fan. And even when there's points where guys aren't wrestling, there's decent, really good moments of character work. You know, putting over the helpless stink face. they you know, angles promo before his match. You know, I may not have been the biggest fan of that. I know you enjoyed the the Al the Blackman stuff. You got Crash's stuff where like proclaim himself the greatest hardcore champion. So yeah, thumbs up for me. I would also say the Crash's stuff. It can also bring something different, so we're not too like same with our like recommendations. I would also say the, the Jeff S A rios match because. The sale investments coming common today more so that it would be here. So if you're a fan of the current sale and want to see kind of elements of that elements of that in like this period of the WWF then I'd recommend checking this matchup you know, a finish aside. side. you know, like I said, I think they had reasons as to why they wanna keep both guys strong. So I think for that you can forget the finish so finish aside I would recommend Jeff Hardy versus SA Rio for the light heavyweight title. And you know, I think Sam has done enough to survive for another week of the Rogue Retroenter interview. So make sure you tune in next week where Sam will be back uh, to talk about the latest episode of Smackdown. But Sam, until then, please remind these people where they can find you and what your positives are.
1: So uh, I am currently appearing on two different websites, wrestling-wise. I am appearing on Cultured Vultures, where I'll usually do uh, lists and previews and that sort of thing so i'm on there and i've also recently started appearing on a website called wrestlejoy and i have just begun a new series looking at um the classic cm punk wwe title reign the first article is Mm. being published as we speak the second one is being currently queued up i believe and there's going to be at least another three to four parts uh during this deep dive into the history of CM Punk's WWE title reign so uh, if you enjoy wrestling enjoy the positives of wrestling and you enjoy watching and listening to CM Punk being the best in the world come to WrestleJoy.
0: Very hmm. right. uh, and good and where are you on Twitter by the way?
1: Uh, big Badder Bruce uh, Bravo Indigo Golf Bravo mm-hmm. Alpha Delta Alpha and then Bruce like the shark or the fat kid who eats cake in Matilda. <laughs> 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 uh, you can find my on 1996.
0: Uh, you can follow Rogue Paint at Rogue Underscore Opinions. Uh, we've got a past episodes of Rogue Retrosman Review uh, the Royal Rumble two, two parts of that were and was a part of the other podcast like the Banter Munich podcast uh, we got some interviews with wrestlers from Pro Wrestling Magic that me and Jimmy uh, conducted also other in Grapple updates me, Jimmy and Nathan are going to get you know, to do some new stuff like hopefully the next installment of our series determining what the greatest comic movie of all time is and potentially our next booking video, our next booking podcast where we try and fantasy book Wrestlemania and I know you're probably thinking that you guys did it last year yes but now we're booking two nights you know, it's, it's definitely completely different <laughs> and, uh, also, please follow the greatest sporting hero that Scotland has ever known at Aidan McGregor 5, world champion egg dealer, as he's been victimised by Nathan's new comedy uh, scripted podcast, That Ain't Sport which is also on Twitter, at That Ain't Sport uh, Aidan McGregor is obviously voiced by a man who sounds a lot like myself but there's no relation, I, I guarantee you. but please just support him, he is fighting the good fight over on Twitter at mcgregor 5 But, you know, until next time, we'll play out with the man who's just changed the very face of the hardcore title, Queer Sholly. And until next time, we'll just say goodbye.
1: Goodbye.